Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. September has reached its end, but Graham McMillan and I are not ready to give the month up without a fight. Join us for a two-and-a-half-hour episode talking about the Steve Ditko lawsuit, the early days of Venom, the finale of two Tom King miniseries, our experiences with the new Infinity Comics on Marvel Unlimited, and the Batman Family Comics on Webtoons, Reinventing Comics, the next big blockbuster Muppet movie, and much, much more. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan, hello. Hello, I literally just saw an email saying a smidge late, and then all of a sudden you call. Yes, a smidge late. Um, yeah. Smidge or less. Ah, well, thank you, thank you. Yes, I, I, I try to keep my smidges as 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 micro smidgy as possible. As as smidgy as possible. I try to keep my smidges as as smidge. This just makes me think of insects. Hmm. In, in in Scotland, like you have midges, which are basically mosquitoes. Oh, oh, interesting. And that so makes like, them sound way more midges. charming. Uh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I think I think you could write a children's book, Smidge the Midge about uh, a tiny mosquito that learns to fit in by, um, I don't know, attacking Scottish children instead of grown adults. Yes. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the way to do this. I'm, I'm sure it is, Graham. I'm sure it is. In the list of all the books that you've got yourself lined up to write, I think you should definitely put Smidge the Midge uh, near the top. I mean, obviously, because if nothing else, it'll probably be the fastest. You would I mean, you would think, you would think, but it, uh, you know, there's layers there, Graham. Like, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, don't be, just keep, yeah, exactly. Keep yourself open to the mystery. Uh, You know what I mean? Like, the things that you'll reveal about yourself. Like, I I was trying to come up with a a portmanteau of of mystique and and midge. I was like, midge-teak? Is that a thing? Smidge-teak? Smidge-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch-mitch
in uh, in podcasting terms, but also real world terms. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, definitely. Sometimes it's one or the other. This time, it's definitely both. Definitely both. Um, but you know, hey, it's a sort of looser, weightier, whatier kind of episode. It's not we're we're not um, handcuffed as it were to Judge Dredd. So you know, what's on your mind? Let's wrap. Multiple things. Let's let's wrap indeed. Mm-hmm. Let's wrap. Um, this week, because uh, strangely enough, there's a movie coming out very soon. But I'm reading lots of Venom comics. Mm. Or, I mean, I did, but what I really want to talk about is there's a uh, a collection out called Symbiosis. Technically, mm-hmm. Venom Epic Collection colon Symbiosis. Mm. But it's all the stuff leading up to Venom. Hmm. And like all the alien costume stuff, mm, uh, and then I maybe I think it's like the first couple of Venom stories, mm-hmm. like the first couple of of Amazing uh, Spider-Man stories that Venom's in there as villain, mm-hmm. and it got me it got me feeling some sort of a way, Jeff. <laughs> I know you're a big Amazing Spider-Man fan. Right? I am. Yeah. yeah. What's your era of Amazing Spider-Man, and also when did you drop off? Uh oh, this is pretty easy. I. I my era of, of Amazing Spider-Man almost in, exactly picks up with post uh, death of Gwen Stacy and runs to just shy of issue two hundred. Now the great the great thing about Amazing Spider-Man is he manages to sort of the Spider-Man the character like I was also reading Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man and sort of. I would say, you know, maybe the first 20 plus issues there, I swear to God, I stopped buying, I think the issue before, you know, Frank Miller drew, um, that became worth bajillions, Uh, you know, picked it back up during the lovely Ed Hannigan cover design era. I think Al Milgram was drawing it, Bill Mantlow was writing it, very heavy on the Black Cat Spider-Man romance stuff, leading, I want to say up to issue 100, maybe. Um, And then, you know... Thanks to having friends who, you know, more or less we pooled our comic book reading, I would say I also dipped my toe pretty significantly in the uh, Roger Stern, John Romita Jr. uh, era, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. Saw saw just the lightest smidge of the Michelini McFarlane stuff and, and, and really had no interest in it whatsoever so well so so that's kind of why i'm asking because mm-hmm. the this symbiosis collection runs from like you know you've got um defalcon friends mm-hmm. to like you know the alien costume stuff and then by the time you're in venom you're in the michelini and mcfarlane era mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it really underscored for me that the defalcon friends is like my spider-man jam Oh, interesting. Like, that's stuff I was reading when I was into Spider-Man. Now, isn't... Didn't the first sort of wrap-up arc of of the Spider-Man costume stuff... that was, Wasn't that Danny Fingeroth and, and Web of Spider-Man? Or, or uh, then... It was... I think it's Louis Simonson and Web of Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the, the very quote-unquote final part, final mm-hmm. chapter, mm-hmm. is Web of Spider-Man issue one. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and it is 
a fucking mess. When you actually read like all the art, like the alien costume stuff, and and into honestly the first couple of, of Venom series, you get why Tom Hardy's Venom is so out there. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that shit is nuts. Mm-hmm. Like genuinely wacky. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the the alien costume saga, as it was called when I was reading, mm-hmm. way before Venom, um, was was mostly to Falcon and Friends, and mostly mm-hmm. an amazing. Okay. To the point where that's where um, Reed Richards is like, your costume's alive. And, and then he's like, got to get the costume off. And then he gets zapped by the sonic weapon. Mm-hmm. And they trap the, the symbiote in, in like a glass jar. And then escapes the glass jar and shows up in like one page interludes, which wonderfully are all collected in this 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 Venom collection. Oh, that's nice. Uh, oh, it's it's got like everything. It's amazing. It's got like the fact that one scene happens in Fantastic Four and is then basically retold in an Amazing Spider-Man that same month. And it's got both scenes. Nice. Like it's it's a complete collection. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you get you basically get like page interludes in Amazing Spider-Man and then spectacular spider-man and spectacular spider-man ends in a cliffhanger which picks up in a web of spider-man issue one and the cliffhanger is the alien costume gets out and mm-hmm. finds his way back to peter parker's apartment and disguises itself as his regular costume mm-hmm. and then he puts it on the start of web of spider-man and then it's like oh shit no it's the alien and then all that shenanigans happen right um but it it's i i can't i genuinely can't work out why the McFarlane Michelini stuff rubs me the wrong way aside from I, I was going to say it's part of this but it's not true like I was in a weird Spider-Man mood after reading this stuff mm-hmm. and I've told you before that Chloe's got a bunch of random Spider-Man back issues mm. and I just picked a bunch of random mm-hmm. and I was reading them and they've got uh, like so so Venom is like issue 300 mm-hmm. right right and she has 290, which is when Peter Parker proposes to Mary Jane. Mm. But still Michelini writing. And mm-hmm. it's John Jr. draws that. Mm. With um, what could only be described as lackluster inks from Vince Galetta. Mm. Oh, but, yes. Right. Uh, but even that still reads like Spider-Man in a way that the McFarlane Illustrated stuff doesn't. And I was like, is it because everyone looks so different? Right. <laughs> because there's... there's and I, I remember reading 300 when it came out. Right, mm-hmm. and I remember as a kid reading three hundreds, and there's a flashback to Peter Parker in uh, like Battle Worlds and Secret Wars, mm-hmm. and and he's he's topless, but he's trying on the costume for the first time, mm-hmm. and I remember even then being like Peter Parker isn't buff like that, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's he's like oddly cartoonishly buff, right, right. And I remember, even at the time, just being like, none of these characters look right. Yeah. No, and I... Yeah. Like, looks like Peter Parker or Mary Jane or anyone to me. You know, it's interesting. I don't know where or when I saw this. And I have no idea if it was presented by McFarlane himself or sort of a McFarlane fan. But somebody pointed out that, you know, the jump from Ditko's Spider-Man to Romita's Spider-Man is huge, huge in terms massive. of how those characters yeah. look, too. Yes. yes. And... I, I like, redefines them, let's be honest. Oh, completely. Right. Absolutely. And, and so it's kind of it's interesting that, again, this person was saying, like, McFarlane actually takes a super crazily disjointed design-heavy 
Ditko S Spider-Man and then takes a super Romita-esque approach exaggerated uh, uh, of the Romita-esque approach of the handsomeness, the attractiveness of the characters. And I remember being like, huh, yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. And I'm still kind of like, yeah, it still just doesn't work for me. Um, and I, you know, I think that, I think that, um, you know, my, again, based on second and third hand understanding, one of the things that led McFarlane to be like, hey, let me do my own Spider-Man title is, you know, he was like, yeah, I kept having, you know, David Michelini kept writing all this stuff with like, you know, everybody's army of goons. And so it was always Spider-Man versus like 18 different guys. And I'm like, I don't want to draw 18 different guys on a page. I want to draw a cool ass panel of him slinging through the city and, you know, get this nerdlinger out of here, which may or may not be an actual quote from Tard McFarlane. And, um, and I, 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 I feel like there is a weird blend there that is, I think because essentially for me is you, you can you, it's not a good tension like there's a tension in the material I think and maybe that's also part of what sort of leads to kind of how crazy the the venom stuff is I think maybe because the, ven- the venom stuff is is the other thing I noticed from reading this book is Eddie Brock is insanely jacked but also McFarlane keeps showing Eddie Brock lifting weights. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like he keeps showing that, and it's like this weird, like this hyper weird macho thing, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and Venom as a character is also like again, uber muscly, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. cartoonishly muscly again, but to even more of a point than Spider Man is. Well, yeah, but you know? see, that's it. As I, you point out, like Peter Parker is weirdly muscly Parker, as well. Like, yeah, yeah, Peter Parker. All, everyone becomes. I was going to say more attractive, but that's not right because again, it's all cartoonishly attractive in a way that is mm-hmm. is not attractive. Right? There's something, and I know you like McFarlane far more than I do, but there's something ugly about McFarlane's art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't think it's attractive artwork, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's this this like weirdly like uh, exaggerated idea of what attractiveness is supposed to be. Um, that. You know, it's interesting because you said like Ditko to Romita, and I never put it together until you said that. But in a weird way, the leap in attractiveness of the characters there mm-hmm. is amplified by you know what you know Romita Junior say was doing, and then McFarlane was doing. Mm-hmm. Like it's another, it's it's further going down that road, but it's it's a road that just feels like it's it is at odds with the material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of think so, and I think you see. I I would say, without having read the material in a very long time, you see Michelini kind of flip through different tones, kind of trying to come up with something that matches. And I think, oh, you know, it's perhaps kind of unfair to say, but I think he what he what he was hoping for, what he was shooting for, was would have been a much more traditional Spider-Man telling, I think, if McFarlane hadn't been so incredibly popular and just dragging it into um, really bizarre directions, 
You know? I, I, and in a way that, like, I don't think the character necessarily um, recovers from. Yeah. Um, I think like, I, I, there's I, something I feel, to that. I feel that there's, there is a visual continuity, at least from Romita, all the way through to, like, you know, issue 300, right? So you right. basically have, mm-hmm. you know, 250-odd issues of you. these are recognizably the same characters. Right. Right. You know? And then they're not, and they never kind of get to be those characters again. Right. Well, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I, I would say that what I, what I find sort of interesting is that there's probably a case to be made that super old farts like me talk about kind of how sort of brain breaking and expanding expansive the 70s marvel work was but Mm -hmm. you know i think i think there's a lot of slightly less older farts who are like no man it's the 80s you know it's not it's not inglehart's captain america it's grunwald's captain america you know it's not um you know the ross andrew uh, Spider-Man. It's it's Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. Like, and those stories for me are pretty, uh, to me, just kind of you know run of the mill. But it's really where the they kind of they kind of get crazier in more of a um, in in areas relating to style and tone. Maybe not as much related to to theme. I don't know, but. I I do think that maybe I think part of the way in which for me new mar quote unquote new Marvel of of the early two thousands kind of allowed me reentry into the characters was a point at which the characters had become so broken in terms of their styles that. It was no longer a direct continuity. You know what I mean? Like you, you oh, had yeah, much no, no. more freedom very, to sort of, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, the idea being that you could, the artists and the writers could kind of pick and choose what kind of Spider-Man era they were either emulating or riffing on or ripping off, um, and and or building from. And then the next time someone else came in, you'd get something that that would be noticeably different from that. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just, it's funny because I I, I realized I see, like I do genuinely as a reader, see Spider-Man as like a continuity Mm -hmm. through like 300. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then somehow that's just broken. Well, I I mean, of course, it's funny because of course you get, you really do get by the Spider-Clone saga, you know, Peter Parker getting married, you you get a variety of levels at which the the character sort of does either break or develops past the point of you're like either this is no longer Spider-Man or this is no longer a Spider-Man that I'm interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, one of the things that I wanted to, to say, this is sort of a daring concept, but, um, you know, you mentioned Mark... Bagley, but sorry, you you did not mention I, you I mentioned Ron mention Friends. Friends. Yeah, you're like you you avoided. I thought of Mark Bagley. Sorry, Graham, but of course because I keep I can barely tell the two of us apart on this podcast. Um, you know because I'm I'm mentally deranged. Uh, 
you talked about friends, Ron, Ron friends. I talk about, um, uh, you know, we talked about Romita. I liked Ross Andrew. What if for you and me and a certain stripe of Spider-Man fan, like the original designs by Ditko are so out there and kind of extreme that it's actually more pleasing to have a kind of, I don't want to say, see, cause you can't really, you, certainly John Romita's work is gorgeous, but, but it's, but there's also sort of a, there's a very pedestrian approach to storytelling. You know what I mean? Like there's kind of a, I, I wonder to what extent, because Spider-Man is so zesty a visual concept that if you get an artist that really tries to run with that it kind of over eggs the pudding you know and- i mean maybe but you say that but then i'm like like i feel that uh spider-man has been since i mean i'm trying to think of, of the you know the artists who have to have being the main, you know, the artist on Amazing Spider-Man, quote mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, since McFarlane, like I feel Spider-Man has sort of been cursed by really dull artists. Well, no, but that's what I'm saying is, is there's a lot of really dull artists. Maybe because there's a lot of people that sort of prefer that Spider-Man kind of be blandish. Like you know, not everyone's going to be but like I, Marcos I Martin or somebody, you know, or Paolo Rivera where it's like you can take those visuals and really push them and play with them, but you also are doing things that it just doesn't it doesn't feel like you're being, you know, punched in the pupil quite the same way that some of the other that's, that that McFarlane can sometimes feel like, I think. You know? I mean, I honestly feel it's that the the current generation of spider readers or at least editors mm-hmm. have a an idea of like a platonic spider-man comic visual mm-hmm. and it's been defined by the 90s yeah uh interesting that, that, it, okay. has, that it has been defined by like the bagley Mm-hmm. And Bagley's sort of like a, a dollar Larson. Interesting, interesting. Because I actually would be more. I mean, and this is probably me looking and thinking more of his a lot of his Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, but uh, rather than some of the various times he's dipped into Amazing Spider-Man, but he actually very much reminds me of that kind of. Kind of, I think of him as sort of a more juiced up Ron Friends. I don't know, you know. It's uh, it, it it just it, you know. I would I would really have to break out a bunch of issues and and look at it to be able to to not I, I, talk I, I even more out more, of my butt. I see more connective tissue between Larson and Bagley mm-hmm. than I do between Bagley and Friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, by uh, Friends. For his many sins, has more um, has more Kirby to him. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And has more. Uh, I 
keep on wanting to say weight, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if that translates. Mm-hmm. Kirby's figures have a solidity to them in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and have a shape and have a weight. Right. They have mass. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And Friends' do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm saying this, believe it or not, as a compliment, not an insult. <laughs> but Friends' figures look like bags of sand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bagley's figures look like they're made of paper. Interesting. Bagley's figures always seem two-dimensional and flat and weightless to me. Yeah, I, I guess that's right. And, you know, I keep saying friends, but it's probably, it's wrong. But, like, when you get, like, Stern and John Romita Jr., and John Romita Jr. is very, isn't the John Romita Jr. of Uncanny X-Men. He is John Romita Jr., right? And he's being inked in a way that that i just i just think that there's a lot of paper like spider-man drawings you know what i mean like a lot a lot of flat spidey stuff and again maybe i'm thinking too much from that period in the 80s where things just sort of kind of started feeling well you know part of it also may be that i'm thinking very strongly of um you know there wasn't the the era uh, with shooter in particular where he started stressing the importance of seeing the full figure in action kind of made everything like wider and flatter and you know very un impressive like so i could be really really fixated i think i think i you know i'm going to concede the battleground but i think it would be interesting and fun to return to it because i would i would say that although there are a ton of people who really like a design heavy spider-man i think they tend to like a design heavy spider-man on their covers and in their limited series and when it comes to the regular reoccurring series you know with the exception of someone like mcfarland's popularity aside i think that but again mcfarland's popularity was 30 years ago well that's but it was huge but it was also but it was also i think very um it was it was an oddity it was an oddity exactly it was an anomaly and marvel is to the extent that marvel tried to chase it as much as they could because it was profitable they did but once it wasn't they were more than happy to 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 kind of drop that back and i kind of get it like there's something about spider-man that sort of kind of like superman that that can be incredibly comforting when done in a sort of for lack of a better term, pedestrian way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, no yeah. I, I think there is value in both characters. It's actually being comfort food. Yeah. In, in doing exactly what they did when you were a kid. Right. Because they're the characters you read when you were a kid. Well, I mean, to take it a step further, they're, they're, they're the characters that you met when you were a kid, but also because of the tremendous amount of... Uh, licensing like chances are good you encountered them before you encountered them in comic form and so you probably encountered them in some sort of licensed form that was sort of the most uh 
pleasing or generic or monochromatic. You know what I mean? Like, I find myself, it's funny, it's a bit of a digression, but one of the things that kind of annoys me about a lot of how DC markets their characters is it's very much focused on Jim Lee's sort of new 52 redesigns, I think. And, and I find those designs like the ultimate in chalk and cheese. Like they are simultaneously too grating and too bland at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I was, I was thinking, uh, I was thinking about that earlier today. Not, not necessarily, you know, too grating and too bland, but oddly enough, I was thinking it's so strange to me that the Flash redesign from New Fifty Two is stuck around, mm-hmm. because for me, the the uh, Silver Age Flash costume is such a beautiful design. Right. Yeah. In large part because it's so simple. Yeah. Right. Right. Like there's there's barely anything there. And that works for me when you're talking about a character who moves fast. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And then comes the new fifty two and like all of the characters mm. like it's armor and there's all these like extraneous lines. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like even if it doesn't affect the silhouette, it's still all these lines all across their 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 figure. Same well, was true with Green Lantern. Same was true with Batman. The the right? lines and I yeah, and I also feel that 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 again, for for lack of a better term, just over egging the pudding. Like Lee's kind of like you're not paying enough attention to the bat symbol or the Superman symbol or Wonder Woman's. W's or whatever and I'm like no I I think we got it but you know what I mean like but it still gets pushed super high in a way that seems to have kind of very little faith in the design and it may it may not be that it may just be like hey these things work but we have to figure out a way to make them to make them work you know Um, like like make people see them again and I don't really I'm sure he'd be like, I don't want to, you know, mess with the classics, you know, little realizing how much people are like, no, 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 you, you got to have those red trunks on Superman or no, no, no. Why would you put pants on Wonder Woman or, you know, just a variety of things. And like you said, Flash is kind of, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I, again, it's it it's something that I would only be kind of. I would not be speaking to from place of knowledge, but yeah, ten, it tends not to turn my crank. I have to say, yeah, it's just it's so odd that I think a lot of the new fifty two visually has been dialed back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, Superman is basically back in his new fifty two costume. He has extra like cuffs, but otherwise it's basically his new fifty two costume. Batman. Wait, you mean pre new fifty two costume? Yeah, sorry, that's what I mean. Okay, thank you. All right. Yeah. Um, and Batman as well, you know, mm-hmm. they, they pivoted away from that, you know, fairly quickly in the Rebirth era. Uh, Green Lantern almost immediately in the New 52 lost the New 52 outfit. Yeah. And, and you know, Wonder Woman when Rebirth came about, they basically ditched that that look. Mm-hmm. But the Flash still hasn't. It's so strange to me. Maybe, maybe because the Flash was one of those books that seems to have done well under the new 52 like i mean you know like they're not really going I, I, to mess with it 
yeah, and and this also sticks out to me because I was also catching up in, uh, you know, current Flash comics, Infinite mm-hmm. Frontier era, I guess, Flash comics. Mm-hmm. When uh, you may or may not be up to date in this, but like Barry Allen's not Flash anymore. Uh, he, right. He's not the Flash in the comic. Right. Uh, it's Wally West who's the Flash in the comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wally West is essentially wearing Barry Allen's old costume. Mm-hmm. Like with the pre-New Fifty Two one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without lines, and I'm like, yeah, that just looks better. Right. right. It just works. Because Barry's away in in uh, in event lands now, I guess. Oh, right. Which which I think is 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 a good way of being able to, you know, kind of what I think of as kind of classically DC way to have your cake and eat it too. You know. Like, yeah, and, and also. It uh, it kind of works, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like because when people talk about you know, or at least people when DC fans and DC creators and DC editorial for that matter talk about you know, you can't have an event without the Flash and without something happening to the Flash, they're really just talking about Barry Allen dying in Crisis on Earth, right? <laughs> just sort of locking Barry into an event, especially where Infinite Frontier ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where the next event seems to be picking up, it feels like somewhere that you can, for all intents and purposes, park him, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then do the the you know not five G but essentially five G idea that they're doing all across the DC line. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so you basically replace the the iconic superheroes with someone else, right? You know, right. Batman's like the one series, the one franchise that isn't doing that. Hal Jordan's gone from Green Lantern. Wally West is Flash again. Jonathan Kent is Superman. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the Wonder Woman series is all about the fact that Diana is not in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. So it's it feels, if you're going to get rid of Barry, then that works, you know? Well, I, I sort of feel, and, and what I like about it is a, um, you know, the, there was that faint during... Uh, 52, the comic series, where it was like, oh, it's the year without the the Trinity, where they're all kind of doing their various things for various reasons. Um, but one of the things that um, that they didn't that they did not do there that I sort of like the idea of doing here is a little bit of, you know, kind of like what kind of Flash comic do you want? You know what I mean? Like, do you want, like, a rogue-heavy Central City soap opera-y type book? Or do you want something that is, like, kind of playing big with alternate universes and multi-multiverses and and, and a lot of um, Morrison clapback, I guess? You know, and yeah. and and I kind of like the idea that in theory you've like you can have either or you can have both. You know, like I don't. It's it's funny. I um, you know, this I've been loving Tom Taylor's Nightwing so uh, much, and this week's issue, which I would probably be the issue that you read you know, yeah, yeah. the week prior, which is the tie into the Fear State stuff just suddenly like really dropped the gear for me and not not great you know no no it like it it was 
genuinely weird as a reader to all of a sudden be dropped back into that, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, oh, I guess it's a Batman book. Right, right, exactly. You know, and, and I thought that I thought that Taylor did a pretty good job of being a team player, which in, in is a good reference by, you know, the fact that Dick Grayson is a team player. You know, he very much has him be like, well, this isn't going to look great considering I just made promises to save this city, but, you know... But but I gotta. Yeah, but I gotta. But this is my family. And part of me is like, okay, yeah, I guess. But, you know, sort of between the artist change and everything else, I was just like, oh, yeah, not quite Bluck, because it wasn't awful, but considering... The previous issues had been so genuinely like borderline delightful for me. It was kind of yeah, it. Mm-hmm. It was fine, mm-hmm. but like it had been better than fine. Yeah, you know, it's like this. This is a good book. This is a book I'm enjoying. And then all of a sudden, it was like, yeah, this is like a perfectly serviceable issue of, of Fear State. Right. Which, right. What's really weird for me is um, I really like the lead into Fear State. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that's been going on in the Titan book. And mm-hmm. now that Fear State is here, mm-hmm. I'm bored shitless. Yeah. Well, you know, it is it's it's really funny because because I was looking at the Nightwing stuff and I think because I was on the free version of Tinian's newsletter, you know, he had a section where he talked about Fear State and what they were shooting for uh with it. Which I mean, let's face it, it's it's not especially hard to unravel, but you know, very sort of neat, cool redesign of the scarecrow aside, like there's Fear State reminds me a lot of Bendis's Dark Avengers or the what Dark is it? Rain? Dark Rain era, you know, yeah. where they're kind of tonally like they're working a metaphor or an allegory and they're kind of not doing it right. You know what I mean? Like, it's really weird that I was reading and admittedly, you know, part of it's like, Hey, I want my comfort food issue of Nightwing with the lovely colors and it's, you know, Hawkeye, but not, you know, and instead what I'm getting is, you know, Oh, Gotham city. Wow. It's really become, uh, like, you know, and fear it's state. fear state. Yeah, exactly. And it's like drones are flying by and it shows them like picking on people for like crossing the streets after curfew or whatever. And I'm like, wow, it's so, um, it's, it's kind of that weird, like, because it sort of misses the mark by about, 12 to 18 months it just it doesn't feel right i'm like yeah no 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 i feel like america's really fucked up in a different way about this you know and i also feel i i feel that it's more of a um it's there's just so much stuff that's going on you know there's just a lot of like no this is this is this is not right like the way that big tech is turning us into a quote-unquote fear state is very different from 
the way that they're doing it. Like, it's very much this idea of, like, when Nightwing's like, oh, you know, Oracle told me to show here and I got jumped. And it's like, yeah, you can't trust her. Like, everywhere it's fake news, you know, kind of thing. Like, it was kind of like, yeah, I mean, I get it. I should like this, but I kind of... I'm kind. Of, I'm just sort of. If there's something in between there where, if nothing else, I'm like, yeah, I probably would have eaten this shit up back with the spoon back in 2018. But you know, 2021 feels like such a different, uncomfortable variation of us pleasantly handing the keys over to the jailers, not in the sort of overwrought Batman oh, what's happening to Gotham now kind of big event thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you, you're not, uh, for one for a better way of putting this, you're not keeping up with, with this stuff, right? Uh, this stuff being what? Fear, fear state, fear state. No, 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 not, no, no. Cause um, I'm, so, yeah. so you've not mm-hmm. read the Miracle Molly one set, one shot, right? No, no. Um, I would really recommend that to you. Hmm. Uh, in part because I'm recommending it to the Jeff who loves to read into his comics and see <laughs> subtext. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in light of like the moves Tinian's made. Mm-hmm. It's something to see a story that is the origin of this character who's already appeared in his Batman run. Uh of essentially I was working for a big corporation and they stole my work and didn't credit me. And so now I've erased my entire persona and I'm out to smash the system. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. James. Like, you know, what, what is going on here? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, uh, everyone hates it when I do this, but uh, talk about the, you know, reading into things, what is going on here. I have already talked about Tom King's last issue of Rorschach, which came out a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Um, I had the chance to read his last issue of Strange Adventures. What is going on? <laughs> what is going on there, too? Um, that series especially ends in a way that I did not see coming. Hmm. Um, even from the second last issue, mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be something else there in that last issue. And what is there feels filled with metaphor and subtext. Hmm. Uh, I know you're reading this stuff on DC on, universe. Yeah. DC UI or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're like six months away. Right. I genuinely cannot wait for you to get to this stuff. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. you're, you're. I think it's fair to say you're enjoying both series right now in DC Universe, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In in fact, one uh, of the things that's sorry, I know that this is a. I'll, I'll just loop this in because you're clearly not done. But I will say one of the ongoing woes for me is reading the Rorschach book, which has so much stuff that I really like about it. It's really a real interesting, weird thing that also does some that i just think a lot of the storytelling is very lovely and yet at the same time it's also kind of uh i can't really i can't really recommend it in a way 
You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a. It's, no, I feel you can't really recommend it because of the Watchmen connection. Or yeah, because of the because, because of the Watchmen connection. No, 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 no. Yeah, the comic, the comic in and of itself, I'm actually very down with. But yeah, whenever I'm like, yeah, you should really check this out. I'm like, nah, you, you, you nah. I mean, yeah, I guess, but nah. So I'm still super conflicted. Anyway, we can come back uh, to that. I just wanted to loop that. Yeah, in no, there. I, I, I very much look forward to getting to the end of that. Um. But also, I'm like, when you do, we shouldn't talk about it until you've read the end of Strange Adventures as well. They feel like companion pieces, which I think they we've do. talked they, about. They, they, feel like, they feel like they're in conversation with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say arguably more so when you get to the end of both of them. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like they are in conflict when you get to the end of them. Hmm. Or maybe mm-hmm. not conflict, but they are, are they have become a study in in differences instead of parallels. Definitely midway through the series, I think both of them feel very parallel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I I feel that they are almost depicting the same story from different angles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say that's not true hmm. by the time you get to the end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say, if anything, you're almost reading one story from two different, like two opposing ideological viewpoints. Mm. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what you're going to make of it. Uh, it. It's the end of Rorschach. I think I said this in the podcast. Like, I, I wasn't sure what to make of it, and honestly, it's, I'm still not. I've reread the entire series now, like in a oneer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still don't know what to make of the end. Mm-hmm. I still don't know where I fall on it. Mm-hmm. And that's, if anything, even more true of the end of Strange Adventures. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's like, hmm. Okay. I feel this is good. Mm-hmm. I feel this is something I really appreciate having read. Mm-hmm. I feel this is something there's a lot I like about it. Mm. I don't know how I feel about the end for both. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah, six six months from now, everyone. Six months from now, heck of a conversation. Well, we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm a little I'm much more loath to say check out the collection from Hoopla for Rorschach, but I I have no such qualms well, about doing that for Strange happened. Adventures. What's that? When those are coming, that still might be six months down the line with DC. It's it's true. Although usually, for me, what I find is it feels like it's usually three months because I always feel like kind of like with uh, Green Lantern, um, Morrison's Green Lantern run. I pretty much was able to jump ahead three months by hopping over to Hoopla and reading the collection, you know, of because they were. They had season one and season two, and you know, broken up into different things. But you know, what, so. what's really funny is I literally just looked, and Strange Adventures collections out in December. Hey, see, so yeah, yeah, that does not surprise me at all. So, okay, um, so let's talk about it in a few months. Yeah, man, uh, Rorschach collections also in December, but you won't be reading that. You said, yeah, I probably not, probably not. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, you know, I. <laughs> Amazingly enough, I feel like we've done an um, uh, an impressive job about talking about things 
directly or tangentially related to Steve Ditko. And so I feel like, well... <laughs> you actually just want to jump into the Steve Ditko. I feel like we might as well just rip off the Band-Aid and, and maybe talk about it, yeah. Tell the people the news story, Jeff. Well, uh, the news story that I understand is kind of dual fold the news that I saw secondhand on social media during my ridiculously crazy week is that the heirs of Steve Ditko had filed for a termination of rights clause for Amazing Spider-Man. And then I saw a few days later, but well could have been folded into the same story and, you know, that was the part that rose to the top, is that the uh, attorney who um in somehow in his way managed to get settlements for the Siegel and Schusters and for the Kirby estate is is collecting up a bunch of people who worked on the original Marvel characters and their creations and trying I think getting them also to go for termination of rights, which, among other things, means Stan Lee's brother, Larry Lieber, I believe, um, is one of those that is in the fold, uh, along Larry with Ditko. Larry in the fold. The Ditko estate is in the fold. It's actually not his his heirs. As, I, I, I'm not sure what the legal definition of heirs is. It's his brother. Yeah, he's sorry. Legal yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, been, right. Mm -hmm. Gene Collins' family is in there. Right. Uh, it's apparently like a lot of characters uh, who are quote unquote up for grabs. Mm -hmm. um, but Dicko's family has tie, uh, filed for um, termination of Spider Man and Doctor Strange, right. which I think were the, the big ticket items. Yeah. Um, but apparently, Black Widow's in there, Falcon's in there, Hawkeye's in there, Ant Man's in there. Mm. So I guess. Don Heck must be somewhere in there. I would think that Don Heck would uh, be in there because I thought he like did the first appearance. And, yeah, if you've got Hawkeye and, and Ant-Man and Black Widow, mm -hmm. I think uh, Don Heck's at least Hawkeye and Black Widow. Yeah, that's um, what I thought as well, yeah. Falcon is in there. I guess that's Gene Colan. Right. Um, Thor and Iron Man are apparently in there, mm -hmm. which would be Lieber. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it has the potential to be big Except it doesn't, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, well yeah. Two, twofold. One, Disney's just not going to lose this case. It's just not. If Disney got anywhere close to losing this case, they'd settle. Well, I think that's probably going to be more to the point. Is I think I think what we're going to see, hopefully, is some really big settlements. Because I, unless, um, you know. Uh, I remember from your pieces, the attorney heading this up or who, you know, Toberoff, is... It's Mark Toberoff, who's who honestly is a fuckwit. <laughs> exactly, right? Is is kind of... Like, yeah. He kind of fucked up the Siegel and Schuster once. Hmm. And so, like, part of me is like, I, I, if I were, if I were these families going for this i don't know if i'd go for toborov other than he probably approached them the same way he approached siegel and schuster's families sure absolutely and i mean he and it's a really good looking track record you know well he does he doesn't because he's lost the cases right well i mean you know it, it how do i put it like 
I would hire the guy who wrote the legal column for the beat, who was the one who more or less mapped out a path for victory to the Kirby case. Um, you know, but yeah, I would not, Tobarov looks like he's like, Hey, you know, I got these people's settlements. And, and, And I think particularly looking at this, not looking as closely at the Superman stuff, but looking much closely at the Kirby estate settlement is, you know, they got a lot of money and Kirby got a lot more recognition and acknowledgement. And I think it honestly, I don't necessarily know what's going on with the various um, people, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's really all they want. I think Tobaroff, based on some of the shit that he has done in the past, if I'm remembering correctly, I'm a I'm a little more antsy that he's kind of like, yeah, this is going to be great. We're going to basically we're going to win back every character that Marvel has created for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then it's going to be the Tobaroff Cinematic Universe because all of these people, you know, I've won them their termination rights, but they agreed in lieu of payment to that. I'm the manager of the trust or, you know, whatever shit. That was basically what he was doing with the Seagulls and Schusters. Right. His whole deal was essentially... I will get these characters free and then you will give me control of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? So he is previous in that respect. And again, right. he lost the cases. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so. he especially, you know, there, there is actual paperwork to prove that Siegel and Schuster created Superman before the events of National. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, no, there's, exactly. There's a paper trail. Yeah, and how he still managed lose to lose that. that. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Like, how does that end up in a settlement for yeah. real? Yeah, yep, 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 yep. But yeah, um, people across the internet are very upset about this this new turn of events with the Marvel characters, of course, um, because people across the internet are stupid. <laughs> and also, for some reason, like, how dare the Ditko family try and stop marvel doing spider-man stuff yeah yeah right that's kind of uh the worst take yeah completely 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 yeah yep 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 yeah i i i'm i'm yeah i'm i'm very much not a fan uh also according to thr reporting on this uh disney and marvel don't lose ownership even if they lose they lose full ownership yeah right and so it literally wouldn't stop Disney and Marvel doing anything. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, I think that it, and that's my thing, is it's like, it's an, it's not like those characters would go away. Go away. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's and there's no, yeah. no danger for going away. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, it's very much a, um, it's very much for me very uh, a situation. I I sort of kind of get because somebody did mention on Twitter after I I retweeted something something like along the lines of like I feel a little more conflicted because this is not something that Ditko himself would have done. You know, like he wouldn't condone this per se. And I'm like, yeah, he didn't really condone. Like I'm sort of like it, it if I have to choose between which group of people acting against Ditko's wishes are going, 
should get a big pile of money. I'm I'm pretty okay with it being Ditko's. Not Disney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ditko's estate rather than again like Pearl Muter and you know Kevin Feige and whoever you know. So I, why do Kevin Feige, Jeff? <laughs> you know, honestly, even as I said it, I'm like. I mean, at least he's done stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that, like he's 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 produced things. He's he's had a vision for things. You know, I mean, he's guiding things forward more in a way that isn't just Ike Pomuters. Like, no, only one bathroom for floors. What's this stapler budget? This is ridiculous. Why do we have to have the heat on in the building again? Remind me, kind of maneuvers. You know, or you know, someone like Dan Buckley, who's you know just cashing his checks and living in his nice up upstate New York estate and golfing and, you know, coming in and and doing whatever Dan Buckley does and has done for for what, two decades now? Three you know Yeah, honestly who knows what Dan Buckley does. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I genuinely can't tell and that's not me being, you know, snarky or shady. Yeah. I do not know what Dan Buckley does as as publisher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, good on him. He gets a paycheck for it. Um, gets probably gets a very very good paycheck. He probably gets a lovely yeah. paycheck. He's the publisher of Marvel. You know? Yeah, right. So so yeah. So part of me is like, yeah. If you know Steve Ditko's nephew becomes a, you know, get gets a certain amount of money such that he's set for life. I'm and we start we people you just. The number of people that stop referring to it as Stanley's Spider-Man kind of goes down a bit over time. I, 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 it, it's hard for me to see that as, you know, a catastrophe. It's really pretty much the opposite. But you know, I, I am very much looking forward to people uh, arguing that you know Stanley was all about the creation of Doctor Strange because didn't Stanley actually say in print? That Doctor Strange was all Steve Ditko's idea? Yeah, one of the things that I love, in fact, I had the weird situation of being retweeted by Jeet here. Although, admittedly, he was just pointing it to someone he was arguing with. But when I found out about the case, like, you know, Jeet was talking about uh, Spider-Man, you know, the Spider-Man announcement. And he said something like, let's face it, like, Doctor Strange as well is 100% Ditko's creation. And someone was picking him up fight with him and that's where he threw in my tweet because in the first edition and i feel like i looked in some other edition and it had unsurprisingly disappeared but of the first edition of i think the marvel visionaries steve ditko hardcover like you know those sort of really schmancy hardcovers they were doing with lee and kirby and romita and and ditko yeah yeah, yeah. um in the preface material in the introduction, they mention the the they quote this memo from Stan Lee to the printer, the distributor, or somebody, basically being like, "Yeah, we've got this new character coming up, Doctor Strange, that Steve created and has totally been bugging me about." So I'm just we're finally I'm just going to put it in the comic more or less to appease him, right? Like it's. It's right there in print, and God love the sneaky archivist who, like, put that into the book, and then it went to print. So, I mean, there is a printed first edition, sort of like the infamous Son of 
Marvel Comics or Son of Origins of Marvel Comics, where Stan Lee's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Stan Lee, you know, yeah, Jack, Jack did it. I just, I told him to do everything, but he was wacky. Like one time, he, you know, he gave me the issues back, and I'm like, who's this guy on a surfboard? Like, I never told you to draw a silver surfer, you know, kind of thing. People are like, oh, really? And he's like, I, I mean, I mean, I did, but I, you know, I mean, I mean, this was I, the only I, time. I was just surprised I, it was such a silver surfer. <laughs> exactly. I was. It was supposed to be a sliver, a sliver surfer. He was very thin, but we ran with it, and I, I really turned that one into gold or silver, as the story goes. Waka waka. Uh, I do. Oh my God! I'm having Graham, the story of Marvel Comics as a movie with the Muppets. With the Muppets. Yes, it's it's genius. It just okay, does. Okay. Okay. Fozzie is Stanley. I have problems with, but oh, of course, in this Rolf the dog is Jack Kirby. Of course, of course, it's okay. instantly where I went. It's instantly where I went. Kermit the Frog is uh, Martin Goodman. Uh, Scooter is Steve Ditko. Um, hold on, I'm still going here. Uh, I'm not out of gas. Uh, Animal is Jim Shooter. Uh, uh, no, no, sorry, Sweetums is Jim Shooter. Uh, Animal is uh is uh larry hama uh 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 i can I, I can do this i can do this how much time is left on the clock graham i know it's running out I, great I, gonzo is steve like gerber uh <laughs> <laughs> i'm loving this idea so much graham i can't even believe to tell i just oh my god this is going to be great although like i'm like who's 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 miss piggy i guess she's who is she? She Flo Steinberg? Like Marie Severin? Like Joan Lee? Yeah, right. I mean, Severin. see, this is it. Everyone's like, no, no, no. Kermit's going to be Stan Lee. Like Fozzie Bear's going to be Jack Kirby. Or maybe he'll be Ralph. And then Jack Kirby, uh, uh, Fozzie would be... Oh, gosh. Don Heck. I think Fozzie Bear's Don Heck would be great. You know? <laughs> I would, I would love that. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be great. Oh, God damn it. Now, who's Vince Coletta? I will be dreamcasting this for the rest of the goddamn episode, and it's going to kill me. Like, in the in the back of my head, I'm just going to be like, oh, Rizzo All the Rat is Marv Wolfman. <laughs> <laughs> Marv Wolfman is being played by the Mad Bomber. <laughs> they look like each other. I gotta admit, they totally do. They completely do. But the Mad Bomber. I mean, <laughs> what's that? I I think I think that uh, the Mad Bomber should be Jim Starlin. But you know, I mean, that's that's probably me. Steve Englehart. Uh, see, Steve Englehart is. Um, I think I think he's a guy who's pretty committed to the sort of more traditional kind of uh who am I thinking of? Like again, Gonzo is Steve Gerber, but maybe Gonzo is maybe Animal is Steve Gerber and then Gonzo would be Steve Hinklehart cuz you know he's an entertainer but it's just weird, I guess. It's you know? just weird. It's just weird. All I'm saying is is like I'm trying to work out who is the 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 big bear security guard from Muppets tonight? Oh, I I'm not as familiar with him, but I mean, I would assume it'd be John Vertropen. 
Um, Vert, Vertopen? I don't know. I can never remember his... Vertopen? You know, the guy, the really big production guy who then suffered a heart attack and died super young, but was like six feet four and lettered all these comics and was basically the, the bullpen guy who helped kind of save everyone's asses. Um, oh, uh, no. I'm like, who's... Maybe Gonzo should be Chris Claremont. There's so many <gasps> options. Yeah? Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That, that idea, that idea sent me, Jeff. <laughs> that, that, that was the winner right there. <laughs> all, all I'm going to say, because we're going to get off the subject, we are. Oh, is, no. Uh, this is what the comments are for. Everyone, yes. Yeah, please. Epic cast mm-hmm. Marvel movie. The Marvel bullpen. Movie. The Marvel bullpen. Oh wait, I guess people would be like Scooter is clearly John uh, Roy Thomas, right? Like I, 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 I said like it's House Steve Roy? Ditko for the look. What's that? Like House Roy. House, yeah, House Roy Thomas. Yeah, would be would be Scooter. Um, yeah, well, that's really so mean to Roy Thomas and not fair. I mean, he's a. They're both kind of capable showrunner manager types, right? So honestly, I'm I'm kind of stuck on Hoover, Beaker, and Bunsen. Oh, see, and that's where someone would be like, I, yeah, that would be Jim Starlin and Al Milgram. I'm pretty sure. Like, um, I don't know. You know, I'm kind of like, who would be, um, like, isn't there some guy who gets enthusiastically shot out of a cannon all the time that's just gonzo i it's amazing it's amazing how i'm like gonzo gets to play so many of the bullpen it's like chris claremont but also jim steranko in a course of brilliant double casting um i like i like the idea of gonzo just took as a one-man show basically yeah it's totally true That would be the best. He's like every other character of the Marvel bullpen, and let's face it, that really does make a certain amount of sense. I'm sure. I'm sure people are like, yeah, you know, we both want Ralph to be Jack Kirby because he sort of sounds and acts like him. But they're like, eh, we gave him Tom DeFalco, you know. Um, I mean, also kind of fits. Let's yeah, brutally. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, God! I'm gonna. I'm just gonna be dreamcasting this one for just hours, hours in my brain. It is horrifically good <laughs> as like a a, a thought experiment. <laughs> completely, completely, and one that's well, just. Who's Bill Jameis? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of far down the line, but yeah, I, I know. I don't care. Who's Bill Jameis? Who's Joe Quesada? I, I was about oh, to say... I think Bill Jameis is totally Pepe. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. Okay, he's Pepe, and no, then that's I... that's true. No, Joe Quesada is Pepe, and Bill Jameis is Rizzo. The rat. Oh, okay. That's nice. That's nice. I, I was going to say that I thought that Joe Quesada could be the security bear guard, basically. Like... Oh, I... I honestly... <laughs> I'm like, I like him too much. Yeah, I... I yes, exactly. Here. Yeah, that's really funny. Um, yeah, oh my god. It's it's just, it's going to be killing me. Oh, hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Again, I'm like, half the characters are, you know, most of the characters of Dr. Teeth. Like, Dr. Teeth is Marv Wolfman. There you go. I mean, that was... Or Len Wein. I bet Len Wein would be, would be mar- far more insistent. Totally what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... 
I'm just trying to figure out who Sam the Eagle would be. Is that Martin Goodman? Is that is that? I, th- I thought we'd done Martin Goodman. Isn't Kermit I, Martin Goodman? I know, but I was joking because, of course, that's that's like funny. You can't you can't really have the closest you can have to a sympathetic Martin Goodman character is you can have Sam the Eagle complaining about <laughs> how ever, how shoddily everything's being run. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, so okay, so Kermit has to be Stan Lee. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't like that casting, but and I, I don't think anyone but else really to, thinks right. Yeah, but exactly, and I like that more for the idea of Miss Piggy as Joan Lee more than anything else. So, this is we've genuinely spent like 15 minutes on this. <laughs> it's totally true. It's, I was like, well, we're going to be talking about the Ditko, you know, lawsuit all night. No, it was like six Ditko minutes on like Ditko's lawsuit. Yeah, exactly. Like 20 minutes on which I'm just, this is, this may be one of our peak wait what moments in, in which I pray to God everyone is not just, we're not like shedding viewers by the boatload and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm drawing up my list. Cause I, I, it, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty divisive. Um, Again, comments. Comments, people. Comments, comments, tweets. You know, I'm, I'm, I will generously retweet anything. Uh, I feel like there's other news. Oh, I definitely remember the other thing that we both said that we were going to bitch a lot about, and I'm hoping that oh, we get a chance me. to do that because I don't remember. So please tell me. Webtoons, webtoons, my friend. Oh no, no, no! We were going to bitch about Marvel Infinite Infinite Comics. See, you were going to bitch about. Webtoons. Okay, so let's bitch about both. Because, I, okay. I mean, yeah. Right? Okay, can I just start by saying yes. I am now, after reading Venom Comics for much of this week, I am now 100% on board with you of the Marvel Unlimited update. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Mm. They have made that app so far less useful. Yes. It yeah. is shocking the mm-hmm. way that their search function now is it's basically shut the bed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, after someone I, I, worked I'm hard to make so it impressed. semi-robust, you know? Yeah, I'm so impressed at how bad that uh, that app works now. Mm-hmm. When it worked, let's be honest, pretty well for a good while there. Yeah. And then with one update, they were like, no, we just fuck it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think the update is just, is still really bad in ways that, that just... Breaks breaks my heart, um, but the Infinite Comics. So I'm trying to think. I think I I don't. There was a discussion on Twitter that I think we were both involved in, either directly or indirectly. But basically, in the course of complaining about Marvel's Infinite Comic, there was something that I hadn't considered, which is that this that the comics themselves are not so um, really horrible, semi-unreadable on a phone as they are if you're reading them on a tablet. Oh, no, they they are 100% phone-optimized. And on a phone, it it's, many of the weird choices make sense. Okay. Uh, they are, for my money, specifically optimized for iPhones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're optimized for that type of screen. Right, and then when you get to the iMac, uh, the iPad, which is yeah. a different ratio. Yes, you discover things like the scroll just doesn't work as much. 
No. Right? No. It takes one and a half scrolls to get through an image as opposed to on a phone. It takes one. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of amazing to me that it really does seem like the Infinite Comics were put together by someone who only did any sort of beta testing on their iPhone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And didn't look at anything else. Yeah. Because on tablets, those Infinite Comics are terrible. It 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 makes me wonder if, like, they had a project that failed and then they folded it in because it's so weirdly sort of opposite from everything else on that on the app yeah absolutely absolutely everything else on the app works so well on a tablet that it sort of makes sense and admittedly like i said i didn't look at it uh, on my phone and i don't look at these things traditionally on like a laptop maybe they work better you know, on a full screen experience, but I'm sure that people are looking at the success of things like webtoons and also just the ridiculous amount of traffic that people look at the look at just about everything with their phone. And so a phone optimized experience is a really smart bet. But that being said, everything about this was like, yeah, they were going to do some sort of Marvel infinite service and, and then someone pulled the plug and they had a lot of products and they folded it in. Part of me wonders if they were going to do a deal with webtoons and it fell through. Uh, I mean, I guess I could believe that. I like, I do wonder, except there's too much product. You know what I mean? Like, there's way too much product for... Well, there's too... we'll see how much product there is six months from now. Well, yeah, that's true. I It just it feels like... It feels you know, like... because unless, unless I miss my bet, mm-hmm. this week alone, two of the series have ended. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know? there's... But the, they, there's a lot. And it seems like... I don't They're know, but maybe you're right. 27 issues. Yeah, right. Just, but the majority just... of those twenty-seven were basically like origin stories. Mm-hmm. And one, mm-hmm. they launched mm-hmm. with Little Marvels. It's Jeff, Captain America, X Men. Um, I think they launched. There's another series in there somewhere, right? Wasn't there? Uh, uh, yeah, a Shang Chi in there. I think. I mean, honestly, I don't. You're talking about the and initial Black, launch. There was Shang Chi and Black Widow. Widow, right? They were both okay. in there. Mm-hmm. Um. And, yeah, it, it's just, you know, by this point, Captain America and X-Men are both done. Oh, really? The Captain America was just three point three four, uh, three four issues. Parts. Oh, four. four. Issues and okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And X-Men was four issues in the stunt. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes me think, mm, are they just cycling through backlog? Right, right. Could be. Did they launch with one, and then they're going to see how these things go? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Because, you know, we'll see. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, the X-Men Unlimited comic is terrible. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I mean, the Hickman really, one, I literally couldn't make yeah. any sense of it on the iPad. So the idea that it worked on a phone or something, I was like, well, at least it'll work. Like, it literally made no sense to me in a... Okay, but you want to know what the plot is? Yeah, it's just, I mean, you. I think you spoiled it the last time we talked. It's just Wolverine drops out of the sky, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Wolverine falls over a lot. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the plot. <laughs> you know, at least the Captain America plot had a plot. The Captain America story had a plot. Yeah, yeah. That's it, sure. I said that. Like, my favorite of them all is It's Jeff, which very purposely doesn't really have a plot. 
Mm-hmm. It's Jeff the Land Shark wants to be loved. People are scared of him. He does something lovable. They love him. Sounds but, great. Like, I love it. I genuinely like. Have you not been reading it? No, 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 no. I've I've barely dipped my toes. It one hundred percent succeeds because Guru Hero do the art. Oh Jesus! I and didn't Guru realize Hero artwork is just fucking gorgeous. Of course, like, yeah. It's that simple. It works because Guru Hero does beautiful looking art, and it's a cute shark who just wants to be loved and lies around like a baby. Yeah, the end. That sounds wonderful. Like you, you don't need to do anything more. That's right. it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but like the, the the others are just they don't seem to do anything with the vertical scroll format. You know, like literally, X Men's was Wolverine falls down a lot. Mm-hmm. The Captain America one, for all intents and purposes, could have been a regular comic. It's Jeff, honestly, could be a regular comic, and I'm one hundred percent sure it's going to be collected into print as soon as they have enough material. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. just it just has an air of we are we are just trying to collect enough material so that we can turn this into a book. Especially because it's Jeff has page breaks. Mm, wow. Okay. Yeah, that'll. You know, that, that's definitely a tip. Has page breaks. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. It's just. It's. It's weird. It feels. You know. I know they're. They dress it up as like. You know. This is the next generation of comics. But Marvel has said that m- multiple times. This is. I think the third or fourth time they've been like, we're launching original comics that are meant for digital. This is our new thing. This is definitely what we're doing. And they always abandon it within like a year. Yeah. Remember Marvel Infinite Comics instead mm-hmm. of Infinity Comics? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or Marvel Digital Exclusives, which were like three years ago? Mm-hmm. It, it's, yeah, they just they just continually do this. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's, they're just, they are, there's not been one yet that's made me go, oh, someone's really thought about this format. Someone's really thought, how can we do this? Someone's really trying to take advantage of it. And also, there's been no comic yet that's not felt like filler, with the exception of it's Jeff. Right, right. Everything, everything has felt like a filler issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's and, and of course, like we're saying, none of it's optimized for anything other than phone. So, if you're reading on a tablet, for example, the lettering is comedically big. Yeah, yeah. To the point where. The legal material at the end of the issue can take up an entire screen by itself. Yeah, that part's hilarious. That is that is one of the funniest parts. So, so I I have to say, uh, so I want to talk a little bit about webtoons because webtoons is clearly an influence on this stuff. Uh, oh, this particular round, yes, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I think. Uh, one of the things that was really frustrating for me was sort of the like, oh right, I really do have to pay attention to webtoons. And and a couple of weeks back, they they were like, hey, we're doing this Bat Family comic that that is very much sort of comedic good times hanging out comics with the Batman family. And I'm like, I'm I'm really into that. There have been really talented artists who have done Tumblr comic incarnations of that or have posted it on Twitter seem very much like, yeah, this is this is my deal. This will be a good entry for me into Webtoons, which I feel like I was like 
why didn't I ever get into this? I should have looked, should have checked it out. And then, so I went and read it and I was like, oh, this is why. Like, I must have went to Webtoons, had such a bad experience that I literally, like, blocked it out of my memory. Because here is the thing. I do, I, what's hard for me, I I feel really weird bitching about Webtoons because A, it's huge, um, is my understanding. B, there's just a ridiculous amount of people producing content and seem to be doing so largely out of, like, enthusiasm. Um, and there's a real specific... Uh, there's little things that make a lot of sense to me. Like, they very much push very heavily push a vote for your favorite kind of thing and it's like here's the here's like the top rated genres right now here's the top rated comic within this genre so they make you pick a couple of genres and then you're like oh well you know here's the top romance comic right now but you might also like you know this comic which is also kind of spooky because you said you also like horror stuff so i'm like okay this is great and again international long very much a strong emphasis influence from manga and things so i'm like oh this is really going to be exciting to dip my toe into but um i i hate the single panel scroll down format i fucking hate it it is i feel weird about it because i was such a defender of you know a real comics or comics mindset, you know, I'd always break out this thing of like, why well, when I was a youngster, they would take Steve Ditko and Stan Lee's Spider-Man comics and they'd reprint them in as little paperback books. And they, and to do that, they'd have to cut each page in half, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and it was fine. It worked, but there's a difference apparently between half a page of comics and literally just one panel and then you scroll down, and then there's your reaction panel, and then you scroll down. Like, it is so anti-comic. Like, to me, so much about comics are, for me, there's lots of things that I love about comics. But the idea of the page, of, of the boxes, and you know, the panels in sequence, or the images in sequence with one another for the compare and the contrast, and then when you build it up to the comics page, you know... Like, I'm really into that. I mean, though, obviously, that's part of why my whole, like, yeah, reading reading Marvel Universe on um, my iPad. Like, I remember tr- reading using Guided View to read the first issue of Infinity Gauntlet on, um, on an airplane that I, you know, had saved, downloaded it onto my iPhone, or maybe it was even, God help me, like, whatever the, the, the iPod Touch or whatever. But it was... It was, a, it was, uh, that was quite an experience, but I was, it was sort of fun in this weird, like, Hey, I feel like I'm reading a comic book on my phone, you know, which is, has a certain amount of appeal, I guess. But once I got to the tablet, I'm like, here's a page of comics. Here's comics as a page, which is how I very much think of comics as being comp- maximally composed. So yeah, it really bums me out. I'm like, webtoons is like comics, like. I mean, I, I, like sort of the same way that a PowerPoint slideshow is a movie. I don't know. It really, 
It bums me out, man. What am I missing? You love webtoons, right? No. Should, <laughs> should I? Uh, no, what's, what's really funny is webtoons is... Uh, webtoons is something I don't get. Like, that mm-hmm. format is something I don't get. I, I just don't. Uh, I don't have the revulsion to it that you do. Mm-hmm. But I also just don't understand it. It uh, it's funny that you talked about like you know the paperback reprints. It reminds me of when I was a kid and I'd read Peanuts paperbacks and you'd have two panels to a page. Yes, exactly right. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that that's the experience I get from it. But it does also feel to me as if there are people who have learned to read comics online from things like Guided View, from things like uh, like do you remember Doc Comics? Do you remember mm-hmm. Marvel's Doc like, from about 20 years ago? Right. Which was like essentially proto-guided view at the time. Mm-hmm. But there, there's audiences who have learned to read comics and it is a panel at a time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you want, the language is, of comics is different. Right. You know, it's not something that you or I understand. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not really appreciate. And so I feel confused and old right. by it. Right. But I also feel that there are things to do to make uh, – I don't know. I feel like the Webtoons material, not all of it, but a lot of the stuff I've looked at feels like it is made by people who work inside that cam- comic language as opposed to like Marvel's Infin- Infinity Comics, which yes. feels like it is made by people who work in the traditional comics format who are now going, yeah, but it's just a, it's just that bit longer pages. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel, that they're, I feel that they are still different experiences somehow. Well, so unfortunately I should have done the research and I did not. So I apologize for once again showing my ass. But Japanese uh, manga, particularly gag strips, um, are lined up as four uh stacking panels like that um and and that's actually there's a lot of comics that i like a lot um uh, monthly girls uh nezuka-kun um watakoi uh love is for otaku or otaku is love is whatever the hell it is watakoi the, the uh azumanga dao which i loved a lot a lot of stories that are done and it's kind of uh the page is it's four panels you read from top to bottom and so i think that there's a very strong influence there on that and and so part of me is like i don't understand why i have such a problem considering there is manga that i like a lot that is basically um you know four panels stacked uh, diagonally vertically but, but, but it's not even that right there's mm-hmm. I, and part of this maybe also like i may be having a different experience for marvel and webtoons because i look at webtoons on the laptop mm-hmm. I, I i you know that's literally just because like i type in the url right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um the act of reading seems different mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. the two things. Yeah. I yeah. feel like there is less scrolling in webtoons. But also, there is still scrolling. I, mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't feel the same as like four panels stacked on top of each other for a gag. Right. right. You know? right. Although it should be said, I think the more successful webtoon stuff I've seen, or the stuff that I like better, I should say, mm-hmm. it's for all intents and purposes short form. 
Yeah. You know, stuff that is, you know, maybe not a joke, but has a payoff relatively quickly. And mm-hmm. one of the problems with Infinity Comics is, with again, with the exception of its Jeff, which is the thing I like, the one I like, mm-hmm. they don't have payoffs quickly. Right. They no, are, agreed. They are Marvel mm-hmm. comics, right? right? So th- right. they are extended narratives, and in many cases, narratives that just don't fucking end. Yes. You know, yeah. like, like it's worth pointing out, the X-Men comic, which I think ended, ends with a to-be-continued. Right. Wow. Great. You know? And and I think there's. I mean, did you have a look at the Wayne Family Adventures one, the Batman one? The web yes, the, that's the one that I've read like two or three installments of. I think like however like, many installments. There, yeah. there are, there are. I can see people not liking it um, for for multiple reasons. Like if you're really into, you know, if you take Batman seriously, for want of a better way of putting it, I can see you'd be like, this is not Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much does flatten everyone into sort of a, a not even a caricature or a stereotype but it flattens people into basically being whatever the joke needs them to be mm. mm-hmm. right which mm-hmm. which i think is not necessarily a problem now but will be down the line mm-hmm. um and the art is pretty generic mm-hmm. but it still reads to me as a better use of that form than the marvel stuff does Oh, that, I mean, on the one hand, definitely. On the other, that's a very low bar to clear. But it is, yeah, it is definitely. Low, it is a very low bar. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not going to argue that I am glued to my screen for every <laughs> adventures. Right. Because I'm not. Right. Right? It's cute. It's mm-hmm. It's cute. It's cute in the same way. It's Jeff is cute. That's not right, good. and it's, it's exactly so what I want because it's well, a hero. Yes, right? exactly. But exactly. Um, but it's it's in that same level of like, oh, that like that's that's a good idea. Sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has no impact in my life. I, you know, I'm very happy for everyone who loves it. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy that it's a, it's a big success for whoever needs it to be a big success. But it's, you know, it's not really doing anything for me beyond that so okay yeah, wait I'm not, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. sorry. no 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 i'm trying to determine i'm like so you're saying that that the bat family is more successful than than marvel's infinite comics which is what we read low bar and you i think you were saying like it's one of the things that you like more because it's so short more or less kind of a comedy and to the point, but at the same time, you also don't think of it as any kind of triumph or anything. It's just cute, disposable fluff. Yes. And it's, which is yes. all it's meant to be. Yeah. And that's great. Yes. And okay. I, yes. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm very happy for everyone who, who's digging it, but you know, it's, uh, I'm sure again, something else for people in the comments, I'm sure there is something out there in the vertical scrolling format that isn't Emily Carroll. That would blow my mind. Uh-huh. But again, outside of Emily Carroll's comics, I can't think of a vertical scrolling format comic that I've really gone, oh, that needed to be in this format. Right. Or for that matter, that I've really thought, this isn't just another, like, a regular comic page that they've cut up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I, I honestly think that's true of the of the Batman stuff as well. Oh. Like, honestly, a lot of the Webtoon stuff. Yeah. A lot of the Webtoon stuff feels like it 
could easily just be a regular comic page and it's been cut up to fit, fit this format. Yeah, which you know, I, I, if, yeah. I mm-hmm. I'd love to see something again. Emily Carroll's done great vertical scrolling comics, mm-hmm. which which have a dramatic payoff for the scroll. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is not a new idea. If you go back to uh, what was it? Whatever Scott McCloud's second understanding comics book is. Yeah, Read yeah, comics. annoying the hell out of comics. Yeah, well, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like he's talking about the vertical scroll back then. Oh yeah, exactly. He's the guy who's like conv- the infinite canvas and the infinite scroll. And in fact, he's the dude who's like, yeah, people are going to be reading comics on their computers, and we're going to be scrolling down and the, the the idea of the page is going to disappear and all this stuff which i which again for whatever reason like so much of scott mcleod's books the second book like half is it was terrible right it's not it really is bad no 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 it's really bad it's really it's bad because understandably he's he's forecasting you know what i mean like there's so much forecasting in the book of like is it reinventing comics or was that the third one? Oh God, I can't remember. It, it might be reinventing comics. Hang on, I, we have the internet. We can literally just look this up. <laughs> uh, it is. It goes. Uh, understanding comics, the invisible art is the first one, uh, and then it was called reinventing comics. Ah, and then mm-hmm. making comics is the third one. Uh, right, making comics. There we go. I mean, uh, I remember making comics as being fine, but reinventing comics is oh well. Because again, because making comics I, I, sort I, of returned to. I'd love to reread that now because I, would... I remember at the time I was like, "What the living shit is this?" Well, exactly, exactly. I would like to reread it because I think that there are there are things. Well, first off, there was just times where I was like, "No." And or like just reading it and being like, nah. And and there was also a little bit of it that is, um, well, I mean, back then, and it makes sense. He was really hanging a lot on micropayments. And so I think in a way, and it's funny, we we're talking about Webtoons. Like I thought of reinventing comics while reading it and thinking like, oh, like this is closer to what, Scott McCloud was talking about reinventing comics, where I was kind of like, ugh, no, or even kind of like, you know, unfortunately, Webtoons sort of verified the, oh, Scott McCloud may have been right, and I was also right that that I thought that I would hate it, you know, kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Both of you were right, because yeah. he actually did see the future, but it's the future that you dislike just as much as you expected to. <laughs> exactly. But, like, he was really heavy he was really heavy on micropayments and then and then micropayments you know like arguably one could say that patreon and some other things are actually that form sort of come true to a way that took a long time because of course nobody really wanted to invest in a financial system that that ran on on pennies per transaction it was too hard for anyone to take their cut as i recall but there was also stuff i mean his book was very much like yeah comic stores are gonna go away and it's all about like putting it on the internet like for free man that's the future i'm like okay so where's the free internet version of this book is like no you know what i mean like that was one of yeah, those yeah. things where like cloud mcleod 
who, of course, I had tons of respect for and understanding comics is the extraordinary work, you know. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one of those points where it was like, yeah, I think you've you sort of failed to meet your own standard of proof. Like, and there's a lot in reinventing comics that is like that, where he's like, well, yeah, because I'm doing it this way in this format. You know, but it's going to end up being like this way in this format. And and he did end up trying, did, I think, several of scrolling comics that I think, I think generally people were kind of indifferent to, kind of including McLeod. I mean, ultimately. So, you know, he may have been that person who was like, yeah, I theorized this stuff, but it's not necessarily... I'm not I'm not going to be the person who's going to be able to make that leap but the leap is coming and so it might be really interesting to revisit this far down the road 25 years later 20 20 plus years later 20, 20 21 years later Oh right Can't oh was it 2000 okay I thought it was like 96 or 8 or something um and uh and you know maybe it's it is like those things are closer to being true. So like you said, I kind of want to revisit it, I, but I'm sort of like, I, I, I just looked it up. And apparently the first half of it uh, also includes him talking about creator rights and sexual and ethnic representation in comics. And if honestly, how much does this book sound like it is dated terribly? Almost entirely. Wow. Really? He talks about that in reinventing comics. Yeah. yeah apparently. Huh? Huh? Right. right. Yeah. Well, I mean, which, again, sort of in a way, yeah, I would have to read it. I, w- I would have to read it. But at the time, yeah, there was a, there was, there was significant amounts of side-eye cast at that book. And I think there's a reason why it's not in, in commonly discussed today, frankly. It, it, well, uh, one of them seems to be, it seems to be the one book in the series that hasn't been reprinted. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So it's not, It's is it not currently in print? You'd have to buy a used copy? Nope. You'd have to buy a used copy. Oh, fuck me, man. Like, of course, part of me is like, yeah, they don't even have it in digital, do they? You know? Nope. So, Which is ironic. Yeah, isn't it? Like, fucking hell. All right. Well, yeah. So, wow, that was, I got to admit, I I knew we were going to talk about Webtoons, and, and but thank you, Graham. I'm so glad we went to the point about complaining about Scott McCloud's pretty lousy second book in the Scott comics McLeod's trilogy. Never reprinted 2000 book reinventing comics. Yeah, exactly. Like, this uh, says something Scott about McLeod. who we are. We can complain about it at length 20 years later. Uh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm really happy for everyone who's digging the Webtoons, uh, Webtoon comics. I honestly am happy with the people who are digging the Marvel and Infinity comics. I think the former is more successful than the latter. I don't even think the former is that successful, however. Um, and I would like to see more people doing things with the format who aren't Emily Carroll. The end. Mm. Great. Counterpoint, you people are trash and you're wrong. <laughs> just to keep things spry. I feel like it's kind of weird just, to agree just to on it. me of that great um, day-to-day bit where uh, they're doing the point-counterpoint mm-hmm. and... and Person makes the argument, and Chris Morris goes, "You're wrong, you're wrong, and you're a grotesquely ugly freak." And then turns to a different camera and goes, "Moving on." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing the I think earlier airplane riff on that where it's sort of like point counterpoint or whatever and counterpoint from Howard Jarvis is I say let him crash, which I thought I I've, I've just always enjoyed, <laughs> of course. So, uh yeah, try try to replicate that magic. Uh Grant uh, so I have to say one of the great regrets for me over the last two weeks is not being able to read enough new manga to give you a, a new installment of my four manga. But all, it is coming. Is real or yeah. is it completely fake? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I got to say, I enjoyed that. We got a couple of comments saying that they also enjoyed it. Um, and I was like, God damn it. I'm, I'm Look, doing I'm, it. I'm ready, to do, I'm ready to do a new one. I'm ready I, to like, okay. next time. All right. Well, I'm hoping by next time we'll have because I've got I've got one good candidate, but I've also been rereading a bunch of stuff. Rereading is not the right term. I've been reading stuff that I uh, have talked about on the show previously and have enjoyed a lot. For example, the new volume of Fist of the North Star, uh, and I say new; it's a reprint thing, um, dropped this week, and that is. That was glorious reading, you know. As you may recall, I, I, I think maybe I, I don't know. I, it, basically, if you can imagine Thundar the Barbarian, but um, instead of it ripping off Conan and um, and I don't know, uh, you're basically doing Bruce Lee in the Road Warrior. But there's a there's kind of a lot of Kirby in it, which is great. Like just. You know how Kirby cheats as it's sort of his own storyteller, particularly like with Iron Man and Mister Miracle. Like he never, he never, he never really sticks with the same power set. In fact, he yeah, 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 really yeah. likes coming up with some really way out there shit. That's kind of like wait, because Seth Mariner has sex with eels, he can also like produce electricity. You know that kind of stuff. Um, although, I mean, I don't think they. Yeah, it's heavily implied that he has sex with eels, and let's face it, we all we all know that about Submariner. Who doesn't? But <laughs> thank you. I thought I was really who, working who myself into indeed. Who among us has not had has not had sex with eels? I mean, admittedly, with a goal towards some of us towards sexual powers. But anyway, but Fist of the North Star, kind of if you if you could imagine Bruce Lee in the Road Warrior sort of written by Jack Kirby, but also kind of being told to do it as a revamp of the Spectre. Um, it's just, it's great. But again, since you already know about it, or um, Volume 9 of Sweat and Soap came out uh, last week, which is this romance manga that I love, and and was, this ninth volume was really strong. Um you know, because it's a romance, which is about romance manga has the problem of when you have two people in love, like where does the dramatic conflict come from? And so there's a lot of dramatic conflict that comes from like 
basically a lot of misunderstandings, you know, because you can't really just have it where it's like, oh, so-and-so's ex shows up again. You can't really have the ex be tempted, you, you know, the, the romantic protagonist be tempted, but the other character has to assume they're tempted. You know, it's the same thing with romantic comedies. Misunderstandings on top of misunderstandings. One of the things that's really great about Sweat and Soap, in which it's a story about, you know, a love affair between a guy with super high-defined sense of smell who is a successful soap executive making soaps and perfumes and things and a woman who works at the company because she loves the product because she sweats a ton as and is incredibly self-conscious about it. His falling in love with her scent and her discomfort with that makes for a good rocky ride for the first couple of volumes and one of the things that i think is very nice is after trying out kind of a oh but they're living together but how are things going to go wrong for them now and kind of half moving down that road um they do a really lovely uh move in volume nine which is essentially this the self-conscious sweaty girl part of why she's so self-conscious about it is she was essentially bullied and ridiculed as a child and in volume nine she goes and visits one of the few friends that she has from junior high uh and in the course of doing so bumps into one of the the grown-up version of of one of her bullies who more or less presents it in such a like no big deal but also kind of class of passive aggressive shittiness that sort of makes it seem like oh it's just all fun teasing and the way in which the victim of the bullying more or less completely emotionally shuts down and you know really genuinely risks the relationship because she just is too hurt to actually even be able to try and connect she's actually trying to hide how she's feeling so much it's it's really well done like i was kind of like yeah I, it's kind of the stuff that i really like when romance manga is working that it's like really that the conflicts are so grounded in the psychology of characters that it yeah that that actually feels real yeah that it that it feels it feels real or that there's a level of complexity there that sort of moves just sort of skitters past the the lovely feeling of um like oh this is nice like drowning god which i've read a few more chapters of man that's some shit that is just as you may recall it's the one where you're like this is kind of iffy where it's the you know, young girl who's like a fashion model and is, you know, her life is on this huge, like, oh, she falls in love with the, she ends up moving to a small town instead of Tokyo and she's trying to adjust to that. And then there's this, you know, mysterious boy that she's kind of into who's kind of a dick, but you can't figure out necessarily why, like kind of a preteen, sunny gothic kind of thing. And then it sort of takes a really dramatic turn and both of the characters kind of end up broken and um you kind of see them like years have gone by they're now both in high school and it's interesting because it's very much told from her and she's essentially more or less been robbed of through trauma of of so many of the things of her potential i guess and 
and her feelings about that and the romance has also failed and failed like a year or two ago and it's it's a it's really again very atypical from what the first couple of volumes would lead you to think but there's also some beautiful stuff i think i might have mentioned like in the first two volumes there's a scene where she's chasing him on a bike that is pure um just beautiful impressionistic storytelling i think i might have reprinted it uh posted a screenshot on on in the show notes and i'll i'll post this page that happens four volumes later god only knows how many volumes but it's several years later where she rides on a bike behind him and the author literally sticks somehow manages to take that original page like sort of turn it askew and miniaturize it and plant it between the two panels of his back and her looking at him so it's this it's to me it's like wow here's this audacious page and then two volumes later the manga creator literally drops that in within another thing so that like you thought that was audacious yeah exactly i was like i like you know i i might have let out a little high-pitched squeal when when i read it um and then a bunch of crap marvel comics that i can talk about at the end so how about you graham Um, I read lots of Venom, like I told you. Um, I have also been reading... I've been reading a bunch of things. I've been catching up on things that other people have talked about. Um, the me- uh, oh God, It's called The Many Deaths of Layla Star, The Many Lives and Deaths of Layla Star. The Ram V series mm. um, that, that everyone has been talking about for a while. It's mm-hmm. called The Many Deaths of Layla Star. I was right. Mm. Um, Ram V and Philip Andrade from Boom. It's fucking amazing, Jeff. It's... it's uh, Visually, it's beautiful. Uh, Andrade's art is shockingly, shockingly good. It is beautifully illustrated. Hmm. But the story is... Uh, I don't want to say a fable, although I think that's the right way of putting it. Um, but there is a lightness of touch, and it plays with such a... a, a, a in comics, especially Western comics, I think people are used to, if you're talking about like the big ideas, if you're talking about, you know, the cosmic ideas of death and resurrection of, of you know, entities, of deities existing, then you have the Neil Gaiman route, right? And this is the very opposite. This is what if Kurt Vonnegut was born 20 years ago hmm. and is writing like with the lightness of touch of someone who's in their, you know, their 20s or late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, about these topics and it's just it's a fucking joy it's a, it's it's such a good comic i was floored by it wow. people have been talking about it for a while it's just finished its run it's only five issues um people have been talking about it for a while and eventually i was like i i like what little ram v i've read mm-hmm. you know it's not all landed for me but enough of it has landed and people are so in love with this that i should check this out and i'm so glad i did it's it's genuinely fucking amazing. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Wow. Um, Jonah and the Impossible Monsters, which is the Chris Lamney book. Yes. From Oni. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think? I feel like you must have read this. You know, uh, I read the first issue and then more or less kind of jumped back and said, like, I will read this in a trade. Because the first... The, tra- the trade is out, which is why how I read it. Oh, okay. Then Then I would think that you would have had a much better experience than I did. 
Uh, I did. It's a very um, – there's not a lot of information there, if that makes sense. It is very much a showcase for, for Sammy's art as opposed to like a densely plotted book, to say mm-hmm. the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, strongly reminiscent for me of Bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it weirdly, I'm like, oh, it's it's Bone and Commandy. It's if Bone did Commandy, right, right, but somehow yeah. it has less story in in its page length than either. Mm-hmm. Yes. Again, as a trade, I think it reads really well. I can see mm-hmm. how in single issues you would not feel that because very little happens in each chapter. Yeah, but as exactly. a trade, it feels like a gulp of information. Um, I reread uh, Josh Dysart's Harbinger slash Imperium slash Toyo Harada stuff, uh, oh, yeah. which I was tweeting about last mm-hmm. week or a week before that, maybe. Um, and it's just, uh, I actually was re- rereading it because I got this pointless thought in my head where I was like, I think Imperium did what Hickman was trying to do on X Men better. And I think it did it faster. Because it cheated. Imperium. I, do you remember this stuff or not? Is it worth me sort of going yeah, over Feel free this? to go back okay. into it. I mean, I remember the very loose, broad strokes of what was going on so with the Harbinger Har- stuff. Harbinger is essentially X-Men, mm-hmm. right? There are Saiyans who are essentially mutants. Um, and Toyo Harada is simultaneously Professor X and Magneto. That's right, yeah. The head of the Harbinger Foundation, he activates the the superpowers in in these people, uh, but he's also essentially like uh, uh, plotting his own shit, right, right. Um, and in and he's he's the villain of Harbinger. Harbinger the series is about the kids, the teenagers who fight against him because he is quote unquote the man. And Imperium, it spins out of that, and Imperium does a fairly ballsy thing, which is goes, he's the bad guy, but he's right. Because <laughs> hmm. it starts with a flash forward, and it goes, yeah, so Utopia exists because he did this shit in the past. Mm. And then it flashes back to him being, you know, Doctor Doom for all intents and purposes. Right. Uh, and, and gathering together his super team. And gathering together... Uh, I mean, his super team is kind of made of fascinating people. You know, one of them is, again, a Venom type. A scientist who is joined with an alien parasite that basically takes over her brain. Um, There is an alien robot who is convinced that they have an artificial personality. An artificial intelligence, rather. Mm -hmm. And Arada keeps on telling him that he doesn't. And that he's (laughs) just a robot. And Arada's like, your name is Mech Major. You're a robot. He's like, no, my name is uh, Sunlight and Snow. I am alive. Hmm. And they just have this argument throughout the entire series. Hmm. Um, there is, the, you know, there's the hardcore is one of the like government super teams in the, in the Valiant universe. And one of them goes rogue and joins the Harada. But Imperium is literally, here's a guy doing Doctor Doom shit. Like he takes over a country at one point. Right. Um, but you have it all from the framework of, but you know, in the future, everything he does works out. Right. right, all the governments are getting to get, are getting together to take him down, but he's right. <laughs> hmm. He does it, um, and that Imperium stops without an ending. And I just assumed the series got cancelled, but it turns out it didn't. But the last storyline got spun off into its own miniseries mm. called the Light Toyo Harada, 
which mm-hmm. is which is I mean for all intents and purposes the last five issues of Imperium, mm-hmm. um, to the point where it literally resolves all of the running subplots of Imperium, <laughs> mm. hmm. which do not get any resolution in the book. Um, but it also spoilers, except this book came out like three years ago, so, so I think we're past the point of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it ends the story. Hmm. Like Harada, Harada dies, except his death is a, is a fake. And it ends with him living, uh, but no one knows he's alive. And he has basically taken over all the governments by, for all intents and purposes, mind-controlling heads of state. Hmm. The end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. um, but it does, uh, it really is a look of like, well, how, is, how do politics and superheroes play together? Mm-hmm. Not so much in Harbinger, but especially when the Imperium starts. Like it very much delves into the, you know, say you want to change the world. How do you change the world? Mm-hmm. You know, and what does that actually look like? And how do people respond to that? Because nobody really wants the world to be changed who currently holds power. So how do you deal with that? Especially when the moves you're making are really fucking shitty moves. Right. You know? And and what do you do when you know you're right and no one else knows you're right? Hmm. And who are the people who will who you'll have to work with? Um and so it's really strange because again, for all intents and purposes, Harada is a supervillain. Right. But Ethereum explicitly starts by being like he everything he did works out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of the shit he did works out. It's just very far down the line. Mm-hmm. So you have this really weird subtext the whole thing. Hmm. Um, yeah, but that, but that's uh, having reread it. I'm not sure if my Hickman idea is correct. Mm. I think Hickman is because I've also been sort of going in Marvel Unlimited and, and reading more of like the what's well, called Dawn of X books, the post House of X um X books. Uh and as much as anything, I'm kind of confused what Hickman was trying to do with them. Uh and also very much of the well what does it matter now that he's off the book? You know, right. like we're never gonna see the end to his story. Mm. So yeah, so what's the what sorry, what is the scoop with him in the X-Men? Cuz that it, of him being quote unquote off the book. Cuz last I heard isn't this just an extension of the yeah, I'm leaving, but it's kind of like you know, essentially everyone wanted so much was enjoying playing with the the first act or the second act of my three acts that they're just going to keep going with that and then at some point they can Bring, they can bring in my third act, or they can go somewhere else. So, with it. so it, it was base. It was basically positioned as um, I. I was in Act One, and when it came to setting up Act Two, I had a conversation with the editors and the other creators, and they all wanted to stay in Act One because they weren't finished yet. So I left. Oh, so I left. Okay, all right. Yeah, there. It, so it is. So that I feel like that was his take. That was the take that I had heard. Like two weeks ago and it or three weeks ago and it, it hasn't changed right there's no new sort of take on as, information yeah or as far as i know no and, and and if it has then i've not seen that i mean i'm not i'm not a member of his paid substack maybe he said something on his substack that i haven't seen 
I don't I don't think so cuz what I saw was just more how do I put it like there's a way in for I don't know about for you but it seems for me as someone who dips in and out of Twitter um one of the things that um I used to think was just a conversation that I was catching in passing was usually some sort of reaction to some larger event that either I had yet to learn about, you know what I mean? Like Twitter's like talking specifically about something can be kind of sort of, I don't know, hack. So people will talk about things like, like, you know, you kind (laughs) of, I've had those moments where I'm like, wow, this is just such a, like, this is great. Like Bill Withers being appreciated. How awesome is that? Like, you know, I'm glad that people are like, what? Oh God, he's dead. Fuck. You know, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, whenever anyone trends on Twitter, you're like, "Eh." anyway. So yes, I think maybe it was still the repercussions of Hickman saying like, I'm out. But basically people were like, yeah, the X, the X-Men editorial editors performed a coup and removed him. And other people were like, you've, got to put down the crack pipe you know so okay but here's the thing you can't do anything with the x-books without people coming up with conspiracy theories well i mean yeah sure and i mean it's not it's kind of it's kind of like the rest of everything else there's there are very viable reasons for them not to take at face value what they're being told right like because they've been lied to repeatedly in the past in in ways that you know then makes your ability to trust or understand things be kind of warped right i mean or maybe that's yep. just me and my own paranoia no i i i think you're right but it uh, but the flip side of that is they're also paranoid as shit and so <laughs> no but for real like they no no say, no yeah you know basically i want to go one way they want to go the other so i left you know, common sense says that's probably what happened. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you will also get people who'll be like, well, what I heard was Hickman wanted to, you know, whatever, turn uh, Professor X into the new Scarlet Witch. And then Marvel couldn't deal with that. And so they engineered him getting a Substack deal. And then, you know, and it just turns, turns into all this, like, crazy stuff. And it's like, okay, or maybe he just fucking stepped away. Like, he's clearly not left Marvel. Right, right. You know? Mm-hmm. He's clearly still with Marvel. He's doing the fucking boring as shit Infinity comic. He's already working on his next comic. Inferno hasn't even come out yet. Yeah, right, right. You know? Yeah. Uh, but, but... Yeah, I, I, I have been delving back into these books, and I, again, I don't get them. I just don't. I don't understand why people are like, these are good. Because they are they're pretty, but they're as, as impenetrable, if not more so, than all the other X-Men comics of the last 20 years. Hmm. Interesting. Now, because I feel like you and I both sort of hopped on, hopped, hopped off more or less were rolled over the Hoxpox express um but i mean in theory that gave you enough groundwork right to sort of follow this stuff or or no are you saying you find you okay, find it impenetrable yeah. or have they jumped so far yes, no 
I find it impenetrable. Okay, Jeff, all right. Do you remember Way of X launched like six months ago? Uh, sure. Way of X was the book that Simon Spurrier was writing in which Nightcrawler oh, yeah. was going to deal with the, the you know, mutant faith. Right, mutant what religion. What is your yeah. comic actually about? <laughs> I wouldn't know. What? Is it an Onslaught revival? No. Wow. Yes. But also, it's an Onslaught revival that only really makes sense if you read Simon Spurrier's Legion book. Ooh. 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 That's not... Excalibur, for that matter. Mm You kind of have to be up to date with... I'm going to say up to date because I'm talking about comics that are 40 years old. But you kind of have to be up to date with Alan Moore's Captain Britain. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I like know. if House of X and Dawn of X, in theory, gave them a clean slate, they worked really fucking fast to fill that clean slate with other shit. Yeah, right. Right. Like, really fast. Those books are two years old? Yeah. They're already like, yeah, hope you know what other worlds is. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, Jimmy yeah. Braddock and Proteus. Right, right, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's sort of. So again, part of me is like. I mean, part of it is like X Men's going to X Men, right? Right, exactly, X-Men and that's sort of the charm. One would say, I guess, well, is that yeah. kind of. And X Men is like the most incestuous comic book franchise. In Western comics. Right. And I'm saying that in a world where the Batman books exist. <laughs> but but it is. X-Men, like, eats its young. Mm-hmm. For every single, like, new relaunch of X-Men, it will be just weighed down by continuity within, like, six months or a year. Right. But what's impressive about the Hickman stuff is not only is it weighed down by its own continuity and the fact that, like... You actually do have to read multiple books in order to understand things, which these days, to be fair, you can do with Marvel Unlimited if you're willing to wait, right? Right. But you also have to know Otherworld <laughs> or go back and read the old Legion stuff or, for that matter, like the Onslaught stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like for all that they are readdressing the fan favorite characters or whatever, they're bringing all that dead weight with them. Well, I mean, isn't isn't part of the problem with comics that one person's dead weight is another person's fan favorite? No, no, I guess. But there are so many of these books that have so much of these fan favorites in there. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, uh, I... I it's, do... just, it, it's, it's like exhausting. It's mm-hmm. I, uh, What these books... And I'm sure people are going to disagree and be like, I'm actually to me, but... What the 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 majority, if not the entirety, of the post House of X and Powers of X books mm-hmm. have have felt like to me is, if you're an X Men book, these are probably really good X Men books. But if you're an X Men fan, rather, these are really good X Men books. But if you're not an X Men fan, yeah, you're not going to become an X Men fan because of these books. Right, right. Like so, really good X Men books. Mm-hmm. Well, and. Uh, so to, to, to dip our toe back to what we were talking about in the beginning, um, is part of the problem, the fact that these X-Men books are 
somebody's 90s. You know what I mean? Like, more inspired by the 90s X-Men than, say, the 80s X-Men that we remember. Or, you know, the maybe it's more like the late 80s X-Men. Like, is it is it possible that they are just recreating an experience that is is one that you that, that we had already ours. dismissed as too baroque or something yeah exactly that is not ours i mean maybe mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. um i think i think it's again this is going to sound worse than i think it's meant to mm-hmm. i feel like it is recreating an experience for people who read the x-men in the 90s and then read the authority mm-hmm Yeah, which I think also makes sense. I mean, you know, uh, I, it's certainly, how do I put it? I feel like there's there's a little bit of uh, the X-Men. The X-Men have always been saddled with this idea of we have to talk about real world issues and we have to talk about the real world because this is a book about prejudice and about, you know all these things that were not really prepared like the 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 infrastructure really can't shore it up like it's never meant mm-hmm. to be that strong a metaphor and allegory you know you just kind of you know really could fake it before but when you actually sort of try and apply it it just kind of gets mired but but i guess what i'm saying is is that i mean in a way one one could just say this is a more successful iteration of the the X-Men have taken over Alcatraz and they have declared themselves, a, you know what I mean? Like, they have an I island, they've declared themselves a sovereign it's, nation kind of thing. This mm-hmm. is the utopia era writ large. Right. Um, I, I, I have no idea if you have seen this or not but you saw about uh, russell t davis returning to doctor who right Ooh, nice segue yeah i have I, yep um ali tweeted that uh she she is a big fan of um russell t davis's uh in, inability as she put it hilarious inability to understand how u.s politics work <laughs> which sure enough <laughs> and cal Pinion responded with i still laugh about quote obama's plan to save the world's economy <laughs> and the Hickman X-Men era slash now post-Hickman X-Men era feels wow. very full of that. Wow. In that, like, if you take House of X, Powers of X, like, at their word, the X-Men mm-hmm. are changing the world, mm-hmm. right? And they never follow through on that in the comics. Mm-hmm. Instead, you get a comic that's about, like, we're pirates and we're making sure everyone gets our wonder drugs. The wonder drugs are never actually explored. Yeah. Right? Right, right. They never talk about what they do or how they're changing the world. You find that you like you get the governments of the humans are mad at us because of our wonder drugs. Mm-hmm. That's it. People are mad at our wonder drugs. Mm, they're stopping our wonder drugs getting through. People hate mutants. <laughs> That's, That's a shame. It's, cause... it's Obama's plan to save the world, save the world's economy again. Right. It's right. The same thing. Um, and part of it is maybe these comics can't carry that weight right like literally just can't carry the weight of there are drugs that are going to change the world well uh, because right. it's a shared universe and you can't change things that much 
or because I was going to say they didn't think it through, but Hickman, he's probably got like 72 notebooks and PowerPoint presentations about it. <laughs> but, but you know, they, they just, they can't do that. They can't do that. These books do not exist in the framework that they can actually follow through in that promise. Well, so it becomes yeah. this weird thing again, mm-hmm. or um, like they've terraformed Mars. Right. It's also just wacky. Right? Because, again, in theory, that changes everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the, the, all mutants having an island and having solved death should mm-hmm. have changed everything. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's like, we've solved death. Hmm, should we bring back the Scarlet Witch? I don't know, because we have solved death. But maybe we shouldn't bring her back. As opposed to, you, you can resurrect people. Like, why is that not a bigger deal? <laughs> well, uh, so I think, and maybe this is this is me being um, too much of a fuss budget to what I perceive as your too much of a fuss budgetness. But I mean, at least for me, I I do think that it is wrong that they're like trying to build the like oh yeah we'll do the wonder drugs as a hook when the wonder drugs really in hawks pox felt a lot like we're going to f- you know we're going to form a nation you people are going to put up with it and we have something such that you are going to put up with it on the surface and we're going to have a cold war underneath and i'm kind of like the, sort of how do i put it like in that sense it's those things were kind of seen as a MacGuffin. Like, for me, I feel it's sort of unfair to kind of be like... You're not falling the... through the MacGuffin. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or kind of the, like, there are, like, when you present, like, you're trying to present, have that cascade of big ideas, but, you know, then people get pissy about, like, well, you know, why aren't you following up on what these damn wonder drugs are or banishing death? It's like, you know, we all seemed really okay that, like, Reed Richards essentially had the only access to an alternate dimension on the roof of his Manhattan penthouse, and everyone was just okay with that. You know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, yeah that's but... kind of... Like, you can only See, I, go so I, far I, in any I direction. Because mm-hmm. you can take away the negative zone and nothing else about the Fantastic Four falls apart. Right? You take away the wonder drugs and the solving of death, and the entire Hawksbox era falls apart. Yeah, but... I, Especially I mean, when, like, Marauders is built on the distribution of those wonder drugs. Well, yeah, I mean... X-Corp is built on, like, the scientific exploration of those wonder drugs. Right. That's two different series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's true. No, I think that is the, like like I said, that was clearly the weak point. That's sort of the mistake in the idea of like, okay, well, we got to get 10 different lines here. And like you said, maybe Hickman, it was going at it from a completely different angle. But part of me is, you know, terraforming Mars, like big idea type things. Like part of me is like, you know, there's an idea toward making those things resonate that I don't even know why I'm arguing this. I'll take your I'll take your word for it, Graham. I'll take your. I'm not reading those comics, and I have to say, like one of the things that really bugged me about Hickman's Avengers run, which wasn't even spun into eighteen books, was the number of times that there was plot hammering 
where essentially, you know, it was kind of like, no, this has to happen with this has to happen. So therefore, all these people have to die. So now you guys have to make oh, yeah. the bad choices. And it's like, OK, oh, no, like, we'll do yeah, that. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. Avengers is is full of, I mean, just bad writing. Yeah, it, it's because, a shit ton of because hit, I say so, you know, to get yeah, to the next moment. The next plot point. Exactly. And yeah. so it's like, OK, so this happens. And you're like, but why? What does that even mean? It doesn't matter. This has to happen. Right, exactly, and 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 this like this is the same thing except it's, except it's spread across like ten books. <laughs> right, right. You know, it's like to get to your cool. It's like, do you want your cool moment or not? Well, I do. Okay, then you're gonna have to buy in with this idea. It's like, but that's not really the character. Look, do you want the cool moment? I've got. It's a cool moment. Okay, fine. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah, and and that's and that's ultimately why it fails for me because I don't care about the cool moments. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 I'm not enough of a fan mm-hmm. of whatever they're resurrecting or whatever they're doing spins on to care about the cool moments. I'm just like, but what what's actually happening here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? And I say that as someone who again, like, you know, give me a fucking Legion of Superheroes book and go, It's Prody and I'll be like, I don't care that this its issue didn't make sense. It's Prody. <laughs> So is that is that no. it? You're just very much like it's it's the it's the wrong nerd legacy got resurrected. No, I, like, but I, just I think the that's other what one. it is for real. Mm-hmm. Like I just don't get this stuff. Like I just don't care enough, and so well, all I see are the shortcuts they're taking to get to this stuff. Right. Whereas which if makes you gave sense. me my stuff, mm-hmm. then I'd be like, I know you're taking shortcuts, but I got Proti back. Right now, Bendis's Legion of Superheroes. I feel like. Are you reading it? What's going on? You don't ever talk about it. You're a Legion fan. Is, That's because is it... it finished in December. Oh, okay, fine, Mister. Like, oh, look <laughs> at me. I've got reasons. I don't know. Fucking DC Universe keeps me like six months behind, motherfucker. But yeah, so yeah, it ended in December. Okay, but you didn't really say much about it when it left. Did it? Did it work for you? Like, I kind of feel I, like there I, were one or two points where you, uh huh. I didn't know it was going away because it like all the books went on hold for January or February for Future State, and there was a Legion of Superheroes in Future State, mm-hmm. and then it just didn't come back. Wow! Wow! Well, it is coming back. He, he, he gave a, a, an interview lately where he's like, "Yeah, we're working on it. It's coming back. It's just not back yet." Um, I like it. I like the Future State stuff a bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Future State stuff in a really weird way felt like it was a two-issue remix of. Giffen's five years later, the first year of Giffen's five years later. Huh. Uh, in that both of them are basically built on a fake out hmm. of it's a dystopia, the Legion's failed, only joking, the Legion never fails. Mm-hmm. They've come back together to fix things. Hmm. And that's basically the, the, the narrative engine of both stories. Hmm. Um, and Ben just does it in two issues and Giffen did it in 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know they, I like them both mm-hmm. I think I'm 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 one of those Legions fans for whom five years later doesn't really work for me mm-hmm. um, but the, I thought the future state thing was fine enough uh, Riley Rossmo does really fun art for it um, I'd like to bend this run a bunch I thought mm-hmm. it 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 plays to his strengths, which is to say it's an overpopulated team book where half of the dialogue has to be shtick. Mm, mm-hmm. Right? That, 
that's that's pretty much what you want from from a Ben's book, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it you know it it did what it was supposed to, uh, and and it it filled my Legion urge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I dig it. But again, it stopped in December. <laughs> okay, that would explain it. That certainly would explain it. Wow, nine months later. Yeah, I think I got through three or four issues of it, clearly. Um, and, yeah, it's 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 funny how big Legion used to be, you know, and... Oh, Legion was, like, DC's second biggest book in the 80s. Oh, yeah. No, and, exactly. And it just fucking isn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So... I don't know. I feel I DM. I always feel like there's some sort of enjoyable comparison contrast there that I'm sure other people can plumb, uh, or we might at a later episode. But considering we're over two hours in, maybe not this one. This is when, yeah, we're going to start wrapping up. I, th- I suspect. Mm-hmm. I suspect. I like the fact that you're like, ah, I mean, don't quote me on that. It's only two hours and I, twenty well, I, minutes I, I in. Want, I want to know if you're going to pivot. I want to know if you're like, no, I need to talk to you about. Oh, about blah blah blah. I don't think yeah. so. I don't, I think we, you know, I think we hit, I think we hit the big stuff. I got to talk about some of the manga. There was um I've been reading some crap Marvel comics that I may or may not talk about next time. I mean, or part of me is very strongly tempted to be like, yeah, is everything that I got to say about them can I cram that into like four and a half minutes? Probably, but I'm I'm not going to try. So yeah, I say I say let's wrap <laughs> okay, this sucker up. Case, we're wrapping it up. There's going to be show notes for this episode up at waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, probably by the time you listen to this, to be perfectly honest, uh, we have an Instagram that I haven't updated in forever. But like, let's just keep hope that it happens, people. Uh, that's Instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. We have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at l a z y b a s t i d. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G R A E M E M, and we are Patreon supported podcasts. Jeff, let the children hear the music. Wow, that's a great reference. Is that what it is? Is that what horrible Britpop song is that? Is that like a? I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's sort of a bastardization of Starman, but it also weirdly enough felt like RuPaul at the end of Drag Race. So oh, well, there you go. Okay. Which I'm sort of like, yeah. And somewhere in the middle of that is half the Britpop bands that I, I think that you suspect you love. So I will say one thing very unique about this episode is this, it, up until now, would have been, I think, probably the first Wait What episode in which a Marvel buy one, get one sale was happening at Comixology and I had not mentioned it, but I will mention it because if you, I hope if I hit my usual standards, there will be one approximately 24 hours uh, from when this episode goes live to the sale closing. What's that? 24 hours from Tulsa. Never mind. Keep going. Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm like, oh man, he's he's moving into he's moving into weird realms, ladies and gentlemen. So yes, Marvel Bogo, check it out. If I had been talking about the crap Marvel comics that uh, I had been, you were like, oh, huh, maybe I will be super excited and pick up that collection of Kazar Bruce Jones comics from the 80s. Don't 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 do that. Don't do that. 
is what yeah, I'm going to say. Look, I've not even read them, and I can tell you that. You know what? Honestly, they're not that bad. Damn it. Um, Brett Anderson on the art and, and doing like – like I thought that Bill Sienkiewicz had some impressive Neil Adams rips. And then I saw some of Brett Anderson's work where he's like – yeah, so I gotta come up with this race of flying people. What if I just redraw Neil Adams Sauron? Like it just with different colors, but yeah, basically them. It's Graham, I'll come back to it, but it will not surprise me if it ends up being a Marvel Phase Four comic, because the great thing about it is it's or should be great about it, is it's kind of a relationship comic, a love romance comic between Kazar and Shanna the She-Devil, but since since it's Bruce Jones and it sort of suffers from Bruce Jones-itis, um, you know, like, Kazar is kind of a shithead, but the, it's also kind of a very fun sort of modern, updated Flash Gordon riff, honestly, like, it's, you know, because you got bird people and you got bug people and you got big people and it's sort of like, you know, in the first issue, Jones, like, has them jump from Savage Land to Panagia, so it's basically Savage Land Plus, so it can bring in a whole bunch of bird people and bat people and slug people. And it, it, it and with a lot of Kazar being like, oh, I love her, but I also love her, you know, kind of thing. It, it, it's not good, but it is a certain amount of both enjoyably terrible and uh wow i wonder if anyone is ever going to take a swing at this and trying to make it work because it's surprising how much a tarzan romance relationship comic kind of kind of works um so yeah take that i fortunately i won't tell you about the marvel team up episodes that i <laughs> issues as reading so i guess you get half you get half of the nightmare of my four and a half minutes. i love that you snuck it in i love that you snuck it in anyway, yeah patreon yeah. jeff Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I really was. I was like, what am I? Who? Anyway, I, I, I hope I really had one of those moments where I like, this is a damn good episode. We totally talked about, you know, who we would cast in the Muppet version of the Marvel biopic story. And I hope that that's the kind of thing that you're into. Most of the time, I feel like you guys are. And it is a, it is a wonderfully buoyant thing. Like, I get to talk of, with Graham, and we get to laugh. Uh, and then I spend, like, so much time editing these show notes. My eyes want to bleed. And then we put the episode up, and people are like, I like this. This was funny. It made me laugh. Or I also have long suspected that, that Roy Thomas should be played by Scooter not um uh Bunsen. 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 Played by Bunsen. That, that would be great I, you know i i mean yeah but see but then there's no real role for beaker in that or is there is beaker does beaker become john ramita under the jim sterling beaker becomes um dan thomas <laughs> Excuse me, I believe I have to hang up on you now. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, Kermit could be Roy Thomas, and Miss Piggy could be Dan Thomas. Or, no, Jeannie Sold. Thomas. <laughs> Sold. There you go. That's your in. Then you turn Stan Lee into his own Muppet, and then you don't even have to worry about casting him. No, no, wait, wait, wait. No, no. It's a Muppet film, which means there has to be at least one human. 
Well, but you can't have Stan Lee play. Oh, are you saying you get someone to no, some you another someone, actor? Someone to play Stan Lee. Um, Al Pacino. Saying... Al Pacino to play Stan Lee. You know what? Fine, fuck it. I was going to go for like a cheap joke and be like, get Will Arnett to play Stan Lee, but sure. No, 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 no. I think, I think our jokes are equally cheap. I mean, honestly, it would be even... Who would you get to play? Who would you get to play Stan Lee, though? This is a good point. You're right. You get someone um, to play Stan I'm, Lee. I'm going to suggest you should get Richard E. Grant to play Stan Lee. Nah, well, maybe. That would be fun. That would be kind of fun. And then... I think that actually... Well, he's got to do the accent. He can't just be Richard E. Grant. He has to do the accent. Oh, God. You're just trying to sabotage the movie now, Graham. What about Oscar Isaac? <laughs> I think Oscar Isaac as Stanley would be great. Um, um, Timothy Chalamet. Like <laughs> okay. Now you're cooking with gas, brother. I gotta say. Oh, no, no, Ansel no, Elgort. Garfield, if he's playing Jammy, if he's playing um, Jim Baker for the, the Eyes of Tommy Faye, he can play Stan, Stan Lee. Oh, that's really funny. Maybe Sam Rockwell? Sam Rockwell is Stan Lee? No. Sam Rockwell actually might legitimately do a good job. I, I think so, too. Just... Right. Well, see, that's it. you kind of got to have an actor. You've got to have a human actor who can actually like act you know what i mean like that's sort of why like there's a there's joke performances but you can't just be like oh yeah we're gonna cast quentin tarantino as stanley <laughs> okay i don't i don't know why i found that funny other than that would just be i i accused you of trying to sink the movie richard e grant doing stanley's accent that's just that's cruel did you that ever see that music do you ever see that movie where it was like Alan Rickman pl- was supposed to be playing like a detective from New Orleans or something? That is one of the great. I never did. Oh, but it's... you know what I did. See? What? And you're really getting off track. Um, there's a film on Amazon called Everyone's Everybody's Talking About Jamie, which uh, I read a review of, and it was basically the review was this film's shit, but it's like every other British film. It's the full Monty, it's Kinky Boots, it's all of these films where there is an underdog and the system is trying to take them down and they will sing a song and everyone will be happy. And I was like, honestly, that sounds fine. That's what my brain is, is up to. And let me tell you, Jeff, not only is it not that, it's a terrible film for <laughs> it, who is genuinely a toxic individual and no one else in the film seems to realize that. Wow, that doesn't sound good. Jesus. Okay. It, it's about this kid who, uh, who's, who's coming out as a drag queen, right? And he's in high school and it's, he's getting ready for his prom because apparently they do proms in UK schools now. Who knows? Um, and he's, he's, he's coming out as a drag queen and he decides, spoilers, he's going to go to the prom and drag. Okay? Here's the problem. He is the most entitled little shit. Mm. <laughs> who considers continually goes like everyone hates me when there's literally one bully in the entire film <laughs> and everyone else is supportive to him wow. and then he tells his mother who is the most supportive person in the planet mm-hmm. that she's terrible and uh, horrible and then she sings a song about how he is so special and how she has failed him wow this sounds At really point, i was like this film has no idea how shitty its main character is. It legitimately wow. thinks that he is hard done by. You know, it's, what's wild is that kind of oh, movie... Sorry. I... Mm-hmm. sorry, on you go. Oh, I was just going to talk about thing. This is Richard E. Grant plays an older drag queen in it and is the best thing in the film by far. Oh, well, yeah, but I mean, that's 
I mean, that's kind of the Richard E. Grant position. You know what I mean? If he's not in but a good Bl- movie, Blasphemy Bl- Bl- get, gets he gets up and drag, and he looks like Margaret Thatcher. Like he goes for it. Good for him. Anyway, that, great. That's great. Yeah, that that sounds. Anyway, go on. Is is that a modern recent? Uh, is that a recent movie? Like it? You know, like I know you yeah. just saw it, but it's literally, it's literally just come out. Okay, because I because I have to say I'm impressed at how much that sounds like a certain. Harvey Weinstein era um, type of foreign film, you know, like like you said, and admittedly, maybe that's because Kinky Boots and The Full Monty and some of those other ones definitely were kind of his thing. Anywho. Oh, no, 100% trying to be that film. Right. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> Ooh, it's wow, that anyway, sounds really bad. Anyway, okay, so. Let's get back to Patreon. We were talking about Patreon. We're honestly at two and a half hours. We've spent ten minutes talking about this bullshit. I'm sorry, Graham. Is is that is that you? Is that is that your way of saying that now that I finally figured out which Muppet is playing Steve Skeets? You don't want to. You don't want to know. No, I'm kidding. Okay, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. That was such a bluff. I'm like, think, think. The Boomerang Fish Act guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh, that could be Jim Starlin. That would be great. Oh, oh, Statler. Oh, right. Those would have to be Gary Groth and Kim Thompson. Um, See, okay, again, we've got to get back to Patreon. Patreon, Jeff, tell everyone about Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you guys are great. You've stuck with us. It's been a long time since we've done one of these old, like, closing comments, or are they fake-outs? And I, I... I appreciate the fact that hopefully you will tolerate and or enjoy this as much as you have the others. So we thank you. We're grateful to all of our listeners. We do owe a super debt of gratitude to our listeners on Patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh um, that make things like the Marvel BOGO sale go down a little more easily in my case. Um, But, uh, you know, it also helps keep us sort of uh, fired and inspired, as we would say if we were, I don't know, Guy Fieri playing Stanley in the Muppets <laughs> biopic. <laughs> Graham. Oh, wait, Empress Audrey. Thank you. Graham. <laughs> Guy Fieri. I, I can't believe you Guy Fieri after all of that. <laughs> uh, we're going to be back not next week we're taking next week off again we're, we'll, we'll be back in two weeks with a regular rate watch uh, we may by that point even have worked out our Muppet casting lists again use the comments people just tell us who, who should be playing who uh, yeah it's 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 been a long road getting from there to here as <laughs> Diane Warren and Rod Stewart once pointedly put it uh, we'll be back in two weeks bye